as surfers, we have a natural love for the ocean, being in the water and chasing thrills. Surfing and surf culture is at the core of Loose. We are a brand made for all-day thrill seekers, experience makers, and good time chasers. Inspired by the elements of surf that excite us the most, we create products begging for adventure, both into the water and out of the water. There's no stamp of approval needed to vibe with our tribe. So drop your inhibitions and get loose because fun feels better. Loose towels. Since 1991, Caballero Pools and Spas has been dedicated to creating an outdoor living space that will provide endless hours of fun and entertainment for your entire family. They specialize in offering excellent service and delivering top quality craftsmanship at a reasonable price. They will transform your yard into something unique and distinctive, a customized masterpiece that reflects your individual preferences. Their experience will ensure that your new backyard is something you will be proud of for years to come. Whether it's a minor project or a large master plan, Caballero Pools and Spas will help you get there. Check them out at cabpools.com or reach them at mark at cabpools.com or call 714-309-2890. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Neon Wave. Neon Wave is an internationally local shop, a concierge to the modern nomad. They bring together carefully chosen surf, fashion, art, and snowboarding gear with a curatorial eye that's drawn to the best of the best, technicality, creativity, and sustainability. Their team is born from nature, raised by the wave, and nurtured by the culture they support. This is Neon Wave. We look forward to moving forward. Check them out at thisisneonwave.com. Earth Pack. Customized, eco-friendly retail and e-com packaging since 1989. In a time of increasing environmental awareness, EarthPack is an advanced supplier of affordable recycled packaging for businesses of all sizes. EarthPack provides custom products and services and continues promoting sustainability while fulfilling the individual packaging needs of eco-friendly retailers nationwide. Check them out at earthpack.com. ColbyPlus.com is a new brand from a very experienced crew in the wetsuit and surf industry. An independently owned and family run business. All of their products are made with the best in the world materials and they only sell direct. So you're getting a top of the line product for much less. Their wetsuit line, Colby Plus Yamamoto uses Yamamoto number 39 and number 40 neoprene propriety jersey and what we believe is the best and most functional design and construction available. Their line of waterproof bags Colby Plus T-Zip feature completely water and airtight German-made T-Zip zippers. They have a tight line of traction and leashes and will have board shorts on the way in the spring featuring Swiss engineered shoulder fabric. They are currently shipping orders to the US, Canada and Australia. For you Aussies and Canadians, unfortunately, the shipping isn't free. ColbyPlus.com Friends and family, brothers and sisters, welcome to the Late Night with Chalky podcast. <laughs> Our guest this week is a repeater. 2.0, take, right? Take two? Take two. Industry veteran, designer, brand owner. We've had him on the show, I think it was like 2020. We were trying to remember. Yeah, 2019. 2019? Yeah. Kind of the beginning of our show. The beginning of our show. Before was... I started going in these you know, extravagant monologues about you know how rad our guests are and prep, <laughs> you know, prep them up. But, you know, uh, 
We're going to just kind of go off the whim here and kind of do maybe a little recap. Yeah. You know? First of all, he's the original Australian hipster. I will never let you live that down. <laughs> yeah. I will dig up pictures again. Oh, that's important. When you live on a commune, I think that, it, that pretty much seals the deal as, like, you know. Yeah. Like hip, hipster slash like I made my own hippie clothes. like yeah <laughs> not, not hipster hippie yeah yeah hippie so into a hipster I guess was the was the just road. just recapping your mom and dad lived see I told you it was not yeah. a, not an episode without Mister Snuggles <laughs> going crazy what's up Emmy so so um yeah Rama McCabe yeah. We'll list what episode it is and, and when we promote yeah. this because please people go back and listen to the first Amazing episode. story. Yeah. Like, I didn't know Australia was that hippie infested. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it definitely was. Um, I, not well, so much anymore. But, well, there, yeah. you know, you, you know, what do you call it? Living on the dole? Living on the dole, yeah. yeah. Dole bludger. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, people can get by pretty... Pretty low budge because... But, but this commune was a legit gnarly in the in the bush. Yeah. But by the beach. On the beach. On the beach. On the beach. It was, it was a two-day walk from uh, Cooktown, which is kind of near Cairns. In a two-day walk. Two-day walk. And you could like go th- like basically through the jungle uh, along the coastline. Or you could get a boat in as well. But um, most of the people coming in, and how my dad originally got there, was like walking two days from Cooktown. And then he ended up, I think he was there for like almost 20 years. Just yeah. living and where on the coast? We're talking like. So it's far north? north? Yeah, far north Queensland, like Cape Tribulation. So it's um, Cairns is probably, yep. a lot of your listeners probably know what that is. It's like a, a big um, snorkeling kind of yep. destination. Great Barrier Reef is there. Um, and then you go further north to Cooktown, which is like a, a really small, tiny little town, um, probably full of like rednecks or hicks or whatever you want to call them. Bogans. Yeah, yeah Bogans. Um, and then uh, it's a two-day walk like further north from that, and it's basically just this idealistic little beach place in the middle of nowhere, and uh, my dad and a bunch of other people made it their home for almost two decades and lived off the land and probably a lot of free love going on which probably where where I came from and my yeah. older brother came from as well and cuz um, you you guys you have the same mom and dad or just uh uh and I have the same dad different moms different moms yeah. okay and Pratama's like 5 years older than I am so he's um mid mid 40s now uh but yeah so we, we were both kind of a, a product from that that location in Australia yeah. and it was uh it's it's I can't remember any of it because I, I left when I was four and my mum and dad because they kind of split up and then we all moved to Byron Bay where I spent the rest of my like teen um, youth and then um, but my brother can remember it like vividly because he was probably oh, nine or nine or ten when, when we left and has like amazing memories and when we see photos of like that time of life he's like I can remember that so easily and I'm like it feels like a different world because it's like Robinson Crusoe kind of stuff. It's like For sure. yeah. naked people walking along the beach, like tree houses, gardens within the jungle. 
and it, I'm just like I, I can't imagine my life ever being like that. yeah it's just so far you, you sent me a picture of your mom and she's topless <laughs> yeah, like yeah. in in whoa the, I didn't get that one <laughs> we posted it I'm just kidding but but it's such a crazy looking scenery that was mm. like real yeah you know like they yeah. lived off the land yeah and were like not jungle people but like earth natural yeah. like living yeah. off the earth did were you able to kind of talk to your parents and others about like you know good stories were they open about yeah sharing all that because yeah. you know you were young and you kind of don't remember and your brother has some good memories but i mean tw- you know 20 years there mm-hmm. yeah, i'm sure your parents have stories for yeah. days yeah, a, a lot of great stories, but also lots of scary stories. There was like um, <clears throat> a period of time, there was like wild pigs that would go through the jungle down. There'd be pig hunters that would come in with guns, and which were just a, such a different walk of life to what my dad and my mom and my brother's mom were, were about. Like they were vegans living off the land. It was all like peace, love, and harmony, basically. And then there'd be these different people that would come through at periods that would like disrupt the harmony of that and cause some friction within the group. But overall, I think it was uh, was an amazing opportunity for any of the people who got to spend time there because they they got to live a life that I think is almost impossible to live these days, to to not pay tax or have to earn money for two decades. I just don't even know how that would be possible. I wonder if it still happens. I, I don't know. I don't right? know. It, it, I, I think it happens, but it's a little bit more like subsidized by like kind of cult like, you know, yeah. or, or something, you know. Yeah. I mean, I, I think cult <laughs> kind of has a bad condensate, you know. No, that makes sense. You know, yeah. Just, I, but I, I do feel like people have off the radar compounds, but yeah. it's probably not as rural and, you yeah. know, yeah. They, they have some sort of modern technologies or something <laughs> yeah. they still have instagram no i don't think that but i just mean you know like yeah i remember your dad kind of the story your dad started taking care of garden built a house yeah he built like um this like two-story kind of uh um like hut basically and then it did a, like a geodesic dome on top of it um, his his dad, my grandfather, was a, a really good builder um, in the in the army. So my dad kind of learned a lot of how to kind of I guess build things and look after himself from his father. And so when he went up to Cedar Bay, he he kind of brought all that knowledge to, to this community that they they kind of set up uh, up there. And it was it was really. Um, from, from what I've been told, it was a really beautiful place. Like yeah. there, was, there was no like leader or person like that was running the show. It was just people living in, in harmony, enjoying each other's company and um, uh, having some kids as well and just uh, trying to get away from all the trappings of, um, of modern society at that time. Yeah. Which, um, my dad growing up in Sydney, Northern Beaches, was a surfer and there was a lot of like drugs and like a lot of his friends were dying from overdoses and becoming alcoholics and he he just wanted to remove himself from from all of those dramas that he he thought were were going to be easy to get trapped in yeah um, we're talking like vietnam war days or a little earlier it was um when did he get he 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 would have left in 86 so it would have been like 66 yeah yeah mm. so uh, part of the free free ride like era then yeah that era you know that timeline was 
people were doing a lot of drugs and, yeah. and yeah. Yeah. kind of anti-establishment yeah. and yeah. just kind of, yeah. I mean, it wasn't Timothy Leary tune in, mm. but it was, yeah, out, it was a, or drop in tune in. It, it wasn't an American was. movement. It was more of like a global movement, you know, like, yeah. this, you know, governments and, and war and stuff. It was kind of gnarly back then. Yeah, totally. Totally. But, um, he, he, he just wanted to escape all that stuff and it wasn't like, it wasn't so much anti-establishment. It was just, he wanted to live a better life where he was looking after himself and the people around them, him were respecting themselves as well. Cause I, I don't think like, they were doing any drugs for a really long time. They and and I, I I don't know this for a fact, but I think they might have got into some like mushrooms and some weed at like the very end of it. But at the first like 10, 15 years, it was like pure, just clean living. And I think that's what his original purpose of going out there was about. Yeah. So. You would want like <clears throat> to kind of recruit people that have different skill sets when you're that, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, how do you, totally. it's He's not like, just like, Oh, you want to come cool. Like what can you contribute? Like, yeah, you know, yeah. you need people that we already got one of those, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. but you know, like I was just thinking like, man, you know, like you said, your, your grandfather and your dad had a, a kind of an engineering mindset and they're good with building, yeah. you know, you'd have to have somebody that's kind of a green thumb gardener, you, yeah. you know, even though you could pick up stuff along the way. Yeah. Like, Maybe somebody that has a little bit of medicine background, or yeah. I, you know, I'm just thinking like just a village, a village of different good. village people. <laughs> yeah, right? I think that was a, a natural selection thing as well. Like people would come in and realize that there was someone already doing what they could do, and they'd probably leave. And then there'd be like someone would come in and go, "Oh, like there's space for me here," and then yeah. they'd end up staying for a It'd long time. It'd be interesting to somebody do a documentary on that, that kind of totally. You know, yeah, I, I think it'd be an incredible story to tell, yeah. like in detail. Like, I've, um, do you know Derek Riley? Yeah. From, from Beach Grove. I've spoken to him about it a, a few times. And, like, hey, you should sit down with my old man and, like, talk to him about this period in Australia because I think that he would, he'd bring out it even more than what my brother and I have ever brought out of For it. For sure. Yeah. Days on days of, like, sitting there and, and talking through those experiences. Yeah. Like that. I mean,. Yeah, I could just only because hasn't imagine. that area turned into like one of the most like sought after places to live? Oh, Byron Bay has for sure, but where the Cedar Bay, where um, where where we kind of were like born, that place is just a, a national park. Mm. So there's like there's no there's nothing there anymore, and all, all the I guess the structures that they built throughout those years have all just been taken over by the jungle. Got it's it. like nothing there. But didn't your dad, isn't your dad like a caretaker now for a lot of different... Yeah, yeah, he... he, he properties? Li- yeah, he lives in Byron Bay in a, in a, a section of the beach called Belongeal. And it's, um, it's probably some of the most wealthy people in Australia have like really big, beautiful homes along this beach. My dad's been there for for like thirty five years or so since he left Cedar Bay. Nothing, nothing. Just beach sharks. <laughs> yeah. Just like run down little sharks. Now it's like like twenty thirty million dollar homes along this beach, and he um he's pretty well known person along that little stretch of beach. He he looks like Gandalf. He's got like this long white beard, yeah. uh, and like pure white. He's hilarious. And he just, he walks down the beach from his house, walks along the beach, walks up into a property, will look after that property for a little bit, then walk back down, go into another one. And I think a lot of people just think that he's the owner of all these places, but he's not. He's just like going in there and like looking after the, like the, the garden and telling people 
Because these yeah. are weekend. These are re- really rich people's like second homes <clears throat> and getaways for the most part, right? Yeah, probably fourth or fifth homes. It's the, the, the people are only ever there like one or two months a year, so it's really just vacant all year. And yeah. So he did his system, I guess, uh, has a responsibility to make sure all these places remain beautiful for when their when their owners come home. So. That and you get no freeloaders and you know make sure like <laughs> yeah. you know stuff you know because doesn't overrun yeah. the property. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, having a set of eyes, you know, security systems are good too, but, you know, mm-hmm. like if these are nice pieces of property, there's, yeah. there's no cameras everywhere. Yeah, you know? totally. It's um, wild. So, I don't know if we should fast forward to today, but, no, let's not. Let's, yeah. let's, let's, let's talk about you and how, obviously your dad introduced you to surfing. My mom did. Your mom did? Yeah, my mom did. Okay. Yeah. My my dad was probably uh, more of a driving force, like, long term, but my mom was the person that really, like, supported me into surfing. And I, I wanted to surf because my older brother, Pratamo, was a, a really good, like, junior competitor when he was younger and had went on to being, like, the head judge of the WSL until recently. And um, I just always looked up to whatever he did. Like, he... he surf really good so I wanted to surf good and, and um, my mum kind of helped me get into that and would like video me and I'm sure if like anyone has like ever seen yourself surf for the first time it's pretty pretty traumatic experience <laughs> but uh, you once we've had you, a couple of people say that yeah it's, it's crazy like it, you, the, what the goes way, on up here versus in reality is just so different yeah so different but the more you, the more you watch it um, the better you get too mm-hmm. like it helps you improve and you can you well, can feel it better i could you know just like anybody that could you know watch themselves you could replay a lot of those waves so vividly that, that from the surf that you did you know you you, you know you could take in your like, mind you mean in your mind yeah. like you know like i don't know it's just something about how hyper focused you are in the water and yeah you can remember and as soon as you watch it you're like oh i remember that you know it, it all comes it's like a replay yeah um, and, but it, it definitely point, you know, points out like everything, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the good, yeah. the bad, and the ugly, you know, yeah. but it's funny. There's been a couple different people that have said the same thing. It's like, man, when you see yourself for the first time yeah. on video and you think, you know, you feel like you're killing it yeah. and then you see actual footage of yourself and you're, you, you realize, oh shit, I, I don't have the style that I thought I had in my mind. <laughs> Right? Exactly. Exactly. What, what do you mean I wasn't four feet above the lip and just <laughs> thin out? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it helps you. No, it, it is. It, and, and there's a lot of little improvements that you can do from arms to stance to knee. You know, like, yeah. it, like you said, it, it helps improve overall, you know, kind of, I mean, your aim is style, I think, first and yeah. foremost. And then, you know, how to get, you know, just better in general yeah, yeah totally so yeah my, my mom uh supported the surfing the the most like she'd be um uh my dad probably could, couldn't do this because he, he's never had a license so he doesn't drive he's never driven a car whereas my mom <laughs> um my mom would drive me to like all the surf contests up and down the east coast of australia so she was just like stuck in the car with me every weekend going to contests and filming and stuff so, so you guys were full-fledged i loved it it was like competitive everything. surfing just yeah, for sure, for sure, for a period of time. Like, I think it, um, 
at anything you're doing in life, whether it's like designing or surfing or, or sales, like you, you, you get, you realize what your, your cap is. And I realized mine pretty early and I was like, okay, like I'm not going to be the best at that. So I may as well put more focus into something else and not, not kind of get dragged down a road of, um, of thinking on something that I wasn't. And, and I think that was, uh, was lucky for me, but also, that's mighty mature of you, you know, because yeah. that's really hard to do. Like, because you, you know, speaking of surf contests, yeah. you know, hey, it might not be the best, but you know, how many times do you watch who wins the event? And it's like, eh, he's not the best surfer, doesn't have the best style, but people are, gets the best waves, are, the you know, getting those accolades and, and winnings and stuff. So it's kind of that, mm-hmm. that hard crossroad mm. of like identifying or not. But he might best. be talking about, other sports and focusing on surfing. Yeah. Oh no no like yes uh, this you know I think though like I, I just um I I just always had a a very clear understanding of like what I was good at and what I wasn't good at and I just I didn't didn't enjoy chasing things that I knew I was just trying to like keeping up with the Joneses almost. Yeah. And so I just realized that early on and um and uh, went down a different track which like got me into designing and and the surf industry but. The only reason I got into that was because of surfing. It like it opened up. I'm sure for you guys as well. Like it, it opens up doors that would never open up to you if for you sure. didn't know what it was like to step on a surfboard. Refresh our memory. Who was your first sponsors? Um, I rode for O'Neill for a long time when I was yeah. younger and uh, Chili surfboards. But um, before that, I was with Town and Country for like uh, uh, um, that was my first sponsor when I was really young. Somebody else too. Yeah. Who Who was it? Oh, Luke. Yeah. Cedarman was... Uh, oh, really? Town, his first uh, sponsor was Town & Country, too. Well, Town & Country was huge. It, it was, was huge. huge. It's so big, especially in, in Byron Bay, because they, their distributor was based in Byron. All their boards were built out of Byron Bay. So, yeah. like, Town & Country and, like, Mad Dog and Michael Cundiff, like, were, like, the three big kind of brands in Byron. But um, Town & Country, I thought, was so sick. Because yeah. I, I guess from like this Hawaiian kind of heritage as well. Like, the logo, like, the name, yeah, yeah. the you know, yin-yang. I mean, so iconic. It was so iconic. Like, yeah. yeah. I mean, I've said Archie that. rode for him. Yeah. Fletcher rode for him. Yeah. yeah. Sonny rode for him. But they, they were my, that was my first real surf shirts. Were yeah. And I was in fourth grade. And yeah. I remember Town & Country, and I was just like... Beyond stoked. Yeah. Yeah. Where I'm in the school photo for the yearbook and I'm trying to like, they're trying to just do a profile shot and I'm trying to like, right before they take it, I'm trying to get it. I get like maybe the top like quarter. I'm like, yeah. They print, print out and I'm like, dude, I'm wearing a TNC. Yeah. Like that's how crazy psyched you were. Oh, yeah. I have to find it. Yes. Yeah. Our, our school, you know, elementary was K through fifth and it was, Smith Surfers, because it's right, you know, three or, or four blocks up from the beach, you know? Mm-hmm. That was the uh, school motto, you know? It was rad. But town and country was... Secrets, yeah. ...was huge. Yeah, I can remember, like, when they they were just doing the boards for, like, many years in Australia, and then they started... I think they started importing some of the clothing that were coming out of Hawaii, and I guess it was getting run from Hawaii somewhere. And I was, like, obsessed. I was like, i got to ride for these guys head to toe. I need these T-shirts. And I, I was so excited about it just because it felt so much bigger than just, like, a, a brand-based in Byron Bay. Like, it had this heritage from Hawaii. And 
obviously like with everything that we do now is kind of stems from that Hawaiian culture. So it's um, it was a, a special time. But it just I guess that any kid like when they first get sponsored is pretty pretty exciting. Yeah, we talk about that a lot. It's one of the biggest achievements and milestones in in, in a kid's life, right? Especially yeah. if you're trying to be a good surfer. Yeah, you're trying to get sponsored. <clears throat> well, right. everything else you do as a kid is a team sport or some organized sport and you know you're you're on a team you have to pay for the outfit you have to pay for the coat you know whatever the organization you know mm-hmm. and you're you know but surfing and skateboarding and yeah. stuff is like you know you could just be good and then brands give you stuff and yeah. you're just like there's no other sport that you get sponsored yeah right? yeah <laughs> like there's no other yeah, sport yeah. that gives you clothes or boards or wetsuits or yeah, it's it's funny. I got I my mum bought me my first wetsuit. It was like a Quicksilver um, spring suit, and I it's the zippers. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, the side zippers up the yeah. arm. No, this was just, this one was a back one, but I can remember those ones. And I, I was like obsessed with Kelly Slater growing up. I just thought he was the coolest <laughs> thing ever. And um, so I made my mum get me this Quicksilver wetsuit, and I wore it to, like as soon as I got home. I you put it on bed. and wore it to bed, and just slept all night. I was like, "Oh, this is the comfiest thing ever!" It was so it was the best day of my life. It was so funny. And how did you go about getting sponsored? Did they go to you? Did you go to them? Did you put a that's a good question. I resume portfolio? portfolio. Yeah, like the the town and country thing was um was a little bit more organic. Uh, Rob Fennick, who was the, the, one of their main shapers in Australia, lived around the corner from me. And um, he used to take Tim Cochran, who was like one of my business partners in, in Banks and co-founder as well. Um, he would take the two of us surfing like every morning. And like he, he was obsessed with Tom Curran. So he would like film us and then like show us Tom Curran and go, look, this is what you're doing wrong. And then I would be like, oh, we're never going to have the good style like him. He's like, perfect. So crazy, huh? And so, That's kind of rad, like, yeah. to to go to that trouble of, of like, yeah. you know, instilling some kind of benchmark, right? Like, this yeah. is the man. Yeah. This is the style of surfing you should be doing. Yeah, yeah. You know? Effortless, and, smooth, powerful, low, just center. Like, he was... Just perfect. Yeah. It, 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 that was the template of... Who, who was better between you and Tim? Tim Tim was uh, more Tim's a much better surfer and was more successful as like competing as well. He's um he he's a fantastic surfer, like beautiful style, and I think that that really is um comes from like Rob making us look at Tom Curran every day. It was like every single morning before school, like we'd go to his house, he'd make us watch some Tom Curran footage, and then we'd go surfing at like Broken Point or Suffolk Park. And um, it was just, it was a great way to kind of grow up. And, and I think a lot of kids at, at, at that era were like more looking at kind of good times and like videos that you, you were in. And that, that was like a, what, what most kids were looking up to, but we were getting shown more of this like, I guess, classic approach to surfing. Yeah. That, um, Fuck yeah. That was, was really nice. Uh, but I, 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 and again, I think people probably made fun of us for that as well because like, we weren't being inspired by what everyone else was. Um, but I think that uh, gives you a point of difference Yeah. What, whatever you're doing. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how old you are, but I was in that crosshairs of, yeah, the old school, you know, growing up and then new school happened and it was like, I'm in it, you know? Like, it, mm. it was kind of weird to experience because 
here you are, yeah, you're looking at, you know, Potter and Kern and Archie and Gurr and, you know, like the guys I, you know, and of course, even MR, Richard Cram, Dane Aloha, you know, like that kind of group of like, there's old school and then there's a little bit of new school there with like Gurr and Potter. Yeah. But then like, you know, Slater's like, what, two or three years older than me. Mm, and Machado. He, and then he, yeah, Machado, he's like a year older, but those guys became like, the it, the it and they're kind of just we're in the same buffer zone of age but like that was it like as soon as those guys hit the scene you're like you know i remember seeing rob at a contest because he's west coast i saw him a lot slater you would see him you know occasionally but man you're just like what the fuck like <laughs> like that's what i gotta you know live up to you know yeah. but that was inspiring but that yeah. was you know we were kind of in that that turning point of yeah. old school new school but that's rad you had a mentor like that mm. to kind of like, yeah, these guys rip, but this is who you emulate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This is the surfing that is beautiful and classic. Yeah. yeah. I, I guess it's just like um, strong fundamentals in whatever you do. Like yeah. Not yeah. running before you can walk. And um, Isn't like, it crazy though? Like still to this day, you could say you want to surf like Hearn. Yeah. After all these fucking years True. and decades, Fuck. you yeah. still want to surf like Curran or Aki. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. that's it. Like, do you want to surf like, yeah, sure, Dane's gnarly, mm. but as far as like style and overall like persona, yeah. Tom Curran yeah. and freaking. I'd like to surf Aki like Bumbo. Dane, but have a little Tom Curran in it. Yeah. <laughs> <Not> totally. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Not quite as raw as Dane. Not oh. quite as raw and rough. Like, yeah. he's rough. You know, yeah. he's not smooth. That's what's he's not like. Fucking rad, though. But yeah. yeah. It, it's it's a difference. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Like, people ask, like, in my mind, right? Like, <clears throat> the, the greatest surfers of all time Tom Curran, Kelly Slater, Aki, John John. It's not the aerial stuff. It's it's the freaking still rail game, yeah. The rail game and the cutbacks and the gouges and the I don't know. Like those are the things that stick out yeah. and mean more to Can us you, than yeah. somebody going eight feet in the air. You yeah. know, sure that's cool. That's an aspect of surfing. Yeah, and if you can do it, then you know hats off because that's very rare that people could do that above the lip. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, to do just rail, like, yeah, rail surfing is, it's never going away. Yeah. You know, you look at Ethan Newing and you're like, he turned it up this year. He's like a, you know, fanning 2.0 and you're like, how'd that even happen? Like, But even more Dane in his surfing than Yeah, and, and he's got like some Andy style mm-hmm. with his arms mm-hmm. and his approach to the wave. Like he, he's just phenomenal. Like yeah. the way he surfed lowers uh, in the final was just... Something I'd never seen down there before. So so cool. I think he. It was unfortunate that he um he was waiting a little bit too long in the, in that final heat. Otherwise, yeah. it may have been a different story. Like it, he's just he's a patient. Felipe's hard to beat. Fucking totally. right? Yeah, yeah. Oh but, my gosh. But, but, you know, going back to to current. Yeah, that was definitely. I mean, every you know, he was the man. Mm. Not just style, but competitive and everything and. You know, we were fortunate to have our surf team at Huntington High School sponsored by OP. He was an OP. Mm-hmm. He would come and speak to our surf class. Oh, sick. Like, you know, he did it like two or three times. I don't know for sure, but like a handful of times over the, over a few years. Yeah. 
you know, man of very few words, yeah, you know, we had yeah. to pry like anything out of him. But, you know, I, I do remember him just saying, you know, because people are like, oh, you know, how'd you get so good? And he's like, I, surf, I surfed a lot in every condition, you know, yeah. like I surf more probably when it's shitty, you know, and like yeah. the shitty conditions, you know, and that got us fired up as kids, you know, you're like, yeah. wow, yeah, you know, like, yeah. I actually like watching re- relatable waves more than I like watching like pipe or you know what I mean. Well, back then the tour like watching was... Dane and, and the sh- wind slop and him gouging and doing turns. Yeah, it's impressive. And even like the the momentum generation movies, a they lot of those they weren't perfect. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you'd see Kelly doing killer things in. Subpar, subpar waves. You're just like, damn, I want to do that, you yeah. know? Yeah. But, you know, you wouldn't get a lot of, you know, footage of those, you know, Aki's and Kearns. Maybe, you know, when Billabong put out a movie or this mm. is pre, you know, Rip Curl search, you know, yeah. Curran. And, you know, we would watch the events, you know, they would have like the, you know, summer, you know. Hot summer nights. Hot summer nights. Yeah, and you would nights. watch, you know. They'd have Surfer Magazine and then a surf contest. Mm. Every Wednesday night in on local cable TV. Oh, really? It's fucking sick. But that's awesome. But you, you know, the footage we would watch a ton of is them in jerseys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, from yeah. M- Miyazaki or... or Chiba to you know uh, um, burly heads, yeah. you know, sloppy, to whatever. It was all over lacking out, but yeah. not in great conditions. But you're, you know, you're watching these guys in a jersey, just yeah. like best best heat though, and you've probably seen it. Billabong, Surf in the Summer, Aki versus Curran. Bells? At Bells. At Bells. Yeah. What did yeah. I say? Yeah, you said Surf in the Summer, uh, like the movie, yeah. but the location was at Bells. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you the, remember that? I've, I've, seen, I've seen the heat before. That those two had some good run-ins, though, yeah. their whole career. Like, it, it's, it's a shame that Aki kind of cut his part of his career sh- a little bit shorter than what he, what he yeah. needed to because he, when he had the time off tour. But it would have been amazing if they had like a longer period together. Because yeah. I think Oki's a little bit. Is he a bit younger than Karen? I think a couple of years, maybe. Yeah. I don't know how much, but not that much. But. Not that much younger. But what's a trip? And and going back to you talking about public speaking, Tom. Yes. It's weird how when those guys were younger, they're definitely less eloquent. Yeah. But all of a sudden, you start seeing. Aki and listening him talk, you're like, dude, you're like a natural on the microphone. And sometimes Curran too, when he's with the right people, yeah, they just go. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you're just like, wow, these guys like, I I pay to watch those guys talk about surfing all the time. Yeah, you know, like they they know how to talk and you respect what they say. You know what I mean? I think that's a lot of it, that. You know, yeah. like they have their knowledge is you know. And their experience, and then the way their mind works is so on a whole nother level yeah. of like. Do you do you remember when they were competing, and people would try to interview them, and you'd be like, they just not talk, or they the, were yeah. Well, like, you're in the competitive, especially Aki. Aki was like he was flamboyant, but he wasn't very like eloquent. Yeah, or, you know what I mean, like. He wasn't media trained. That's he for wasn't sure. media trained, and no, now you you listen to him not, you're like, damn, not media trained. But also, when you're in that competitive realm, like you kind of just you block everything out, and you don't want to talk to anybody. And then, of course, mm. hey, how'd you do in the heat? And all that one way, you know, you just yeah, 
you know, these guys want to be in, stay in the, the zone. Yeah. And hopefully Aki someday listens to our podcast, but he, if he listens to this, I miss the Aukcast. Oh. Yeah, that's good, wasn't it? He's so good. amazing. Yeah. Like, like, when he started doing those, and then um, the guests and the skits and the conversation, I mean, come on, dude. dude yeah. you know no one's, the, he's the best YouTuber out there. He, he's fucking hilarious. He's freaking awesome. But yeah. but going to another freak athlete that, that you you brought brought him up and I'm like, dude, that's fucking Mike Tyson too. Mike Tyson, mm. you know, he, oh, yeah. he had the lisp and he would just yeah. be like crazy, d- d- crazy, and you know, like back when he was winning world title knockouts. Yeah. And you're like, this guy doesn't can put fucking two words together and he's yeah. fucking crazy. And now you listen to him and you're like, fuck, he's articulate. He's yeah. super smart. He's totally, fucking yeah. like. I want, I want more, I want, I'm fucking enthralled. I'm like, I love that guy. Yeah. You know, because of where he's, the past and life he lived, but he's a very like, yeah, his persona back then was just like a caged fucking Kind of like Fern and Aki and like those guys in the heats, like, or just caged, just like (laughs) demental devil minded fucking weirdo. Mm. He probably still is. He talks about it. But now he knows, he knows how to like. Express it with words. No, he talks about it. He's like, I was brainwashed. His trainer was um, doing hypnotherapy on yeah. him and hypnotizing him to like only Kill. think about Kill. killing. That's all his mindset That's was. That's probably so it. He, everything else in his life, he just cut out, whether it was like respect for women or <laughs> respect for other people around yeah. him. It was no, just, it, was, like, all, it was very yeah. abusive. Like, you're yeah. a loser if you don't fucking go in and win. You're, you're like, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. you're, yeah, you're a nobody if you can't go in there and do, you know, do your job. And yeah, it was very. Him doing that stand-up thing, I don't, it, I don't think it was comedy, but that monologue that he did, that's when, I, I don't know if that was the, after that it changed the way he, you, you looked at him, but he did this like one hour like stand-up, mm-hmm. not comedy, but just like, almost like was poetry. It the, was or, it the Friar, Friars Clubs? I don't know what it was, but I remember seeing a clip of it, yeah. and you're like, wait, is he like trying to be senses funny? together? <laughs> <laughs> I, well, that's what I mean. He went, the pendulum, like, you know, you think of when we watched him in his prime, it was yeah. strictly for his fighting abilities and whatever. Yeah. And then you started getting these little cameos and movies and stuff. Yeah. And then, and then now he's like a full business entrepreneur. And he's like, now he's got like this, his podcast is ridiculous. It's like crazy. Does he have a podcast as well? Yeah. Oh, it's, it's called hot boxing. Hot boxing. Hot is he boxing. smoking weed in Oh there? yeah. <laughs> Hotboxing with uh, Big Mike time. Tyson. It's pretty funny. good. You got. You should listen. It's to fucking it. great. Yeah. But anyways, we're talking about Tom Curran, and that was your <laughs> side, full sidebar. You know, that's yeah, how yeah. we roll. Yeah. But that like was that something you focused on? Not winning heats, but style and like just better surfing when you were. Yeah, I think um, if you if you have great style, you can make anything look pretty good. Yeah, like you don't you don't have to be doing the best or the biggest turns out there. But if you if you if you look good doing it, then yeah. it helps you get a long way. Um, and and I think that's whether like personal style out of the water or in the water, like it, it's um, having good style. I think just helps you get places. And and I felt like the having Karen is like a. Uh, like a like a, a style that I wanted to kind of emulate was it was a nice kind of benchmark and for me I felt like that was easier to 
go after than like watching um the momentum generation doing like crazy airs and stuff because like my skill level wasn't there but the getting style you can kind of like mold yourself into that a little bit easier than doing crazy surfing that i wasn't able to do yeah and that was a kind of crossroads of like i mean there was free surfing that non-sponsored kaipa but then there became this like dude, you could be a sponsored dude and, and free surf. Yeah. Was that kind of an option? Like if contest wasn't? Oh, no. Like I, I, I kind of, I stopped competing when I was about 18 and then, um, which was like around the same time as I finished school. And then Tim and I, who I mentioned before, co-founder of Banks Journal, him and I went traveling around the world together and just free surfed and met up with my brother who was judging at a few different locations around the world. And just um, enjoyed life and, and realized that there was, um, I could, you can still, for me, I could still enjoy surfing and, and that lifestyle without like going after the competition thing. I could, I could go after something else that I also really was um, enjoying, which was like more fashion and, and understanding clothing. And um, that was something that I was also super interested in. What, when, and when did you start thinking about design? And what uh, was it graphic or was it more like cut and sew or when it... his mom made him his first board shorts when he was <laughs> <laughs> No, I think from I think the lack of clothing in my like early childhood um made me as soon as I saw people's like fashion um trends, I was just immediately drawn to that and going like, Oh wow, like you you can you can wear clothes like that or you can wear something that I t- never even thought of because we just didn't have clothes for my my really early childhood and then being even when we moved to Byron Bay um my parents weren't like super wealthy so I didn't have like heaps of clothes or anything like that I just have the same basic thing and uh I was just always interested in like what what it was about clothing that made people feel really great about themselves uh, and I think um uh like the confidence and just you know the yeah, you know. yeah, it can transform your whole personality. Like you can walk out one morning wearing something that you don't really feel confident in, and it will it will change your whole day. Whereas if you walk out the next day wearing something you feel great in, fits you well, like you're a totally different person. And it's um, I think that's there's a there's a great power in that, like almost like a costume when you when you leave the when you leave the house in the morning. So and it, that is. It's a good way, you know, to look at it because I, I, I mean, I think anybody could identify that, you yeah. know. Yeah. Like, well, I, I, you're, you're, like dressing up, you know, like when you don't dress up often, like I mean, yeah. suit and tie. When you when you first started getting clothes from town and country, right? Like that was the cool shit, mm. right? And then later on, you start working for or writing for O'Neill, and O'Neill was cool shit, right? And then you kind of get more your teenage years you develop a little bit more of a style right like yeah you get a little bit more individual with it for sure were you customizing some of your sponsor stuff a little bit but i think i i was also just so happy to be wearing it as well like yeah, it's, just, a, it's a badge of honor kind yeah. of like, like you're sponsored and that you know you're, you got the sticker on your board you know and, and it's kind of you're representing the brand but yeah. you still want to have an individual kind of look and aspect to it whether it's accessories or something different or yeah you know and back then there wasn't like a, a lot of people walking around with Town and Country on or uh, uh, O'Neill a little bit more, but definitely not Town and Country. I think it was pretty um, 
pretty secluded, really, in Australia. So it, you felt like an individual by just wearing exactly what they gave to you. And, and you were just proud of it as well because you're, you're um, representing someone that is like putting, putting uh, energy into you. So it's a great thing as you're a kid. I don't know if we talked about it last time we talked to you, but was, was O'Neill Australia the same look as O'Neill America? Uh, yeah, I, I think so. When, when I was a kid, I would say it would, be, it would have been all the same stuff. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure they would have just it had was, a distributor. It was a pretty big brand over there. Yeah. yeah. Like, O'Neill, it, was. O'Neill and Rusty were, as for, you know, like, you, when you look at Rip Curl, Billabong, Quicksilver, primarily coming Australian from Australian, brands, yeah. like, you know, USA brands, like, to me, Rip Curl, you know, was Australian, even though it was big, you know, like, mm-hmm. all those brands were big, both. You know, yeah, both countries, but yeah, I was really surprised on like Rusty and O'Neill over there when I visited. I was like, wow, it's fucking, you know, that's when they were hot too. Like, for sure, like the night, this is like, you know, majority of the 90s, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, Rusty, obviously a little later. I mean, O'Neill's been around forever, but yeah, clothing wise, they they didn't clothing wise, they're later. They've O'Neill clothing come after Rusty clothing, or is it probably? I think O'Neill would have been doing it first with um, La Jolla having like the the license for it and and yeah. doing all their clothing, but um yeah like it, it, it was it was really cool like now now I look back on it now and I have a different um perspective on it I guess because I've got a different style, but uh, at the time I thought it was great like yeah. any any surf logo it was it was so super can cool. we talk about some of the Australian brand names that we would just like why the heck would you name a brand company that it's just like japan hot hot Fun. tuna yeah, yeah. hot piping hot piping hot yes. mambo yeah mambo mambo mango mango <laughs> mad <laughs> dog it's sort of mad dog there's so many bad ones isn't there there's, yeah it's, it's I mean, you know I, I, bad or not i mean it's just it's just different you know yeah. but you know look at billabong like what it, you know like billabong what the is hell it? is billabong do you know what a billabong is yeah, it's like an estuary, like runoff, yeah, right? Yeah, it's yeah. a body of water, yeah, right? Yeah, a pond. small body of water, yeah, like yeah. a pond. Exactly. Next, to the, next to the beach, like a kind of a yeah. river mouth. But pond. to name a company, a surf company, Billabong, that just sounds funny. But now, like, you you say Billabong and all you think about is surfing. All you think about is surfing. So right? I, yeah. I think the, the original meaning of, of a brand name becomes irrelevant at some point. It's, it's just a brand name. Yeah. You, you don't attach it to, like, the... But it's so important, right? Like, it's so important to the future of a brand. Yeah. Like Ruka, right? And what the hell? People still ask me. Yeah. Like, RVCA. Ruka? No, I work for RVCA. Oh, yeah, I know what that is. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I think um, when Billabong and and, and Quicksilver and Ripcob, when they started, I, I don't think. You had to tell as much of a story as you did. Yeah, you had to slap a, a sticker on some app, you know, pro board, and, and then it and just stuck. Yeah, that was it. Whereas the names that we talked about <laughs> that are funny are, are kind of not really around anymore. But do you think that the why do you think that is? Do you think that because they never made it bigger than the US, whereas all the other ones did? They, they translated. I, I think there's brands in Australia that never, you know, needed to be big here to survive. I don't know if that's. You know, yeah, but, but I don't. You know, I, the name's important. <laughs> yeah. Well, for sure, it has to sound good, but it, it's interesting how like 
like Billabong, like you, most people wouldn't know that that's right. like it's a small body of But water. the logo yeah. with the waves, you know, the three line waves, it, it was iconic. Same with Quicksurf. Like Quicksurf is nothing. What does that mean? Like in surf, you know? Yeah. But, yeah. you know, I had the weight, the logo, the wave and the mountain, you know? Yeah. Quicksilver so, sounds cool though. It does. Is great. It like, does. Yeah, yeah. Hot tuna does not. Hot tuna. Mango hot does butter. not. Hot butter does not. Yeah. Piping hot, not really. So there's, there's, and with, you know, let's not just pick on the Australians, the Japanese with be wet. Yeah, yeah. Rash. Yeah. Yeah. What else is there? They're going to name a wetsuit rash. Yeah. Like, it just does not make sense, huh? It's so funny. So what, uh, when you were a teenager, what music were you listening to? Like, Ooh, um, I really liked Bob Dylan when huh. I was growing up. He was like, old soul over here. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah, love Bob, Bob Dylan, Dylan was it? Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Um, but uh, that was my main. Uh, Michael Jackson for sure. I was um, was like huge. But uh, Michael Jackson and Bob Dylan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess they're kind of like really different. But uh, the well, I was listening to Eagles and Anthrax, and you know a little yeah. bit like you know just but, everything. Yeah. But those guys were more... Was Anthrax from the U.S.? Yeah. Yeah. They're, these are U.S. like For artists. Sure. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah were, talking were, Heads? Talking Heads, yeah. Like, they were all good. But you have to remember, Australia is, is so much about American pop culture. Like, we probably know more about Americans than we do about ourselves. Because mm. like, all of our movies, all of our TV shows like most of the brands that are coming into your life um yeah uh, they'd have like days of your life or what's that they, yeah days, days of their lives like they have all the like sitcoms like all of them like, I go over soap, operas. soap operas soap operas and stuff yeah. and yeah, yeah Baywatch was so big there too yeah like, huge. I mean it was huge here but they would definitely yeah piggyback a lot of the popular shows yeah I remember even like Wheel of Fortune and there's decent money back you know this is a long time ago like I mean I haven't you know, I, I spent a lot of years going over there, but I'd watch Wheel of Fortune and the dollar denominations on like the wheel were, it was like $25 to like 500. Like that was, that was like, if you land on 500 and it was like, whoa, they just didn't have the advertising money. Cause in America it was like, you know, $5,000 like. But it was Australian. But it was Australian version, version yeah. of it. And you're just like. I mean, it's the same show, same premise. It was awesome, but I was like, "Wow, they make like no money on this yeah. game show." Yeah, yeah. Well, Australia's got like a tenth of the population to the US. That's why it's oh, yeah. so exciting coming over here to live. Is you just got so much more opportunity. Like it's everything is like magnified by ten or more, and you just um. Plus, Americans are so supportive as well of like entrepreneurial spirit, and it's uh it's a great place to come. Yeah. I mean the melting pot, yeah. I mean it's it's great to have, you know, people like you coming over and influencing and being a part of society here. You know, like yeah. that's what makes America fucking awesome. You know. So, going back to you figuring out you were going to be a pro surfer, mm. did you ever turn pro? No, no. I was doing uh, like pro juniors and stuff, but that yeah. was it. Yeah. Um, and and getting into design, what was your first like? I think I was starting to ask, but were you graphic clothing? Like what was, what was your aspiration? Well, always, always clothing was like where I really wanted to be. And like the, the graphic component is, um, is, is super interesting. And then it's a, it's a, there's a certain part of that, but 
what what I was more interested in was like how how like product fits you and how it flows, the fabrication, the cut, the silhouette, and like that that were the things I was really interested in. And then the graphics were just uh, like almost an afterthought for the for the garment rather than like the first like protocol. So um, yeah, it was it was always the garment side of things. But like I can I can do graphics. This is not my not my forte. Yeah, um, yeah. But um. And but, what was your first job for doing board shorts at Rip Girl, and then um. I was only, I was only there for a short amount of time, and then I, I was really fortunate enough to uh, uh, be across the road from where Globe had like a little satellite office in Torquay, and um, a friend of mine that I actually had gotten a job at Ripco went over to Globe to start doing like all their clothing for for Globe, and then it was it was a pretty big job for him at the time, so he was like, hey, do you want to come over as well? And so I went over. And our boss at the time there was Andrew Egan, who's um, just a, he's a bit of a, a legend in the industry when it comes to um, uh, like manufacturing, sourcing. And he, he, he just taught us so much. Like he started taking us to China and the US and Europe for like different trips and like China. For Globe. Would, yeah, yeah. So China would be for like all um, factory visits and yeah. then like Europe would be for trade shows, US for like buying trips and research. And uh, so just put us in that time frame was that when Taj or Dion or is it like Dion wasn't writing for Globe yet um, but Taj was Oki was um, Nathan Webster was Noodles mm-hmm. if you guys can remember him yeah yeah um, so they had like a pretty good team but it was mostly footwear at the time yeah, yeah. and then they when we kind of started doing all the clothing they made it a really big push into like head to toe sponsorships with like the, the Hopgoods yep yeah Hopgoods came on board globe sticker was up at the nose and it was uh it was it was really exciting like it was i think i've said this to you last time we we spoke but like um we got an opportunity to work on a project that was way bigger than our, our skill set at the time and we got yeah because you were designing rip curl board shorts for a year yeah not not even not i think it was like nine months or something and um and you had to learn like comp- whatever computer right yeah I, I was good with the programs and stuff so like we, we when when you're designing for surf industry brands there's not you're not physically really designing much you're mostly like just dropping like little drawings on your computer screen on tech top of packs, like, right? yeah yeah doing tech packs and stuff so it's um it's like recoloring okay the, the silhouette kind of stays yeah it wasn't changing very often it was it was all just, ba- just especially in menswear like we're, we're, yeah. we wear t-shirts we wear pants we wear board shorts and yeah. woven shirts like it's all doesn't change do you, too much do you remember there was like maybe just a scalloped hem and then a straight hem that, you yeah. know there wasn't like all these inseams changes yeah. and like there was no car you know maybe a cargo pocket but like it was very simple. Now you look at the board short category. Yeah. It's and it's so insane. Like, was, you know, was, from the, six, was the whole board short category what it was, what was, what it became? Or was it before? But I'm talking, I'm talking 21, 22. Hyper Freak and, and, you know what I mean? The <laughs> yeah, board yeah, short yeah. wars. Was that pre-board short wars or was it during? Um, after Globe, when I went to work for O'Neill, was when that, that whole board short world blew up. Hurley came into the market um, and w- with with their stretch stuff, O'Neill was doing like like threads infused with like silver and stuff to make it like antimicrobial, like a crazy stretch, the super freak, hyper freak. 
it, that that was when everything was like it, I think sports shorts started getting to that hundred dollar mark too. There was this like roof that nothing could be over hundred bucks, and then yeah. like Hurley came in with like hundred and twenty dollar one, hundred and fifty dollar one. Yeah, which was which was interesting. Like it, they they really pushed that space, and like they were also developing fabrics that were we haven't had before in the industry, yeah. which which I thought was really cool because it felt like most of the most of the technology in in, in f- fabrics and design within setup is just all all wetsuits. Yeah. Um. And then it, the board shorts were just pretty simple, really. But then we had these companies like Hurley coming in that were were pushing the the boundaries and making stuff that we didn't realize was available before yeah. that. So yeah, your surf is technical, you know, and your your wetsuits. I mean, as far as you know, performance it's, in the water, like it's yeah. you know, it's become way more technical in recent not recent years but when when we're talking about phantom and hyper freak super freak Mm. i don't know what billabong's crazy you know four-way stretches but it was all about it was it was like a space race yeah for board shorts yeah and all the companies use that to fly the flag of why they were best that pinnacle piece was the ultimate board short yeah which was weird not weird but like great for marketing yeah and at the time surfing was in such a big boom too mm, right totally totally so yeah it was um because like cool. sorry to interrupt but like you said earlier like the innovation of materials and like there's when you think back and you think Caton, right or fuck jansen a yeah. brand called Jansen that was a U.S. brand that was technically one of the first surf brands. It was a swimwear brand. Yeah. But that's what surfers wore was Jansen's and Caton's and maybe Birdwell. Birdwell. Yeah. But it was like thick, shiny or like rough sail canvas yeah. board shorts. Yeah. But if you're doing the style of surfing that was being done back when those brands were first around, you didn't need... Yeah. A board short that could stretch like a meter long. Yeah, <laughs> like it, it was all pretty, pretty mellow stuff yeah, going down. Yeah, didn't need quick dry either. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. So, it, I think it just as surfing progressed, the the fabrics and the board shorts progressed. But then I, still, I just find it fascinating that like the wetsuit world was so ahead on that, like yeah. performance, fit, stretch, and then you know the board shorts. You would think as important as for a surfer, you know, yeah. like you're either in a wetsuit or in your board shorts, you know, and it didn't really, it, it was far behind. Yeah. You, you know, it's funny. But I, it did, it did create, you know, I mean, we always talk about healthy competition and, mm-hmm. and, and certain movements within any industry. Yeah. Um, to, to, yeah, sure. I'm all good. I'm to, still uh, this. To, to, you know, push the, you know, the envelope, you know, as far as like, innovation and just you know competition between brands like it was it was awesome time yeah yeah it was it, like being at o'neill through that period there was there's so much anger in the room all the time and it but it did spur like um progression Mo- and, but most of that was coming from the la jolla group they were they were doing all the like the hyper freak super freak board shots but it was it was interesting seeing what was coming out of that office because it was just like so technically advanced. I couldn't even wrap my head around half the stuff that we were doing. But it was uh, it was really cool, and I think it was it was good for the industry. I think it's it's slowed off a lot right now. Oh, like, big time! Like, it's you know we've been in a really bored 
board short hybrid slump for sure you yeah. know saturation and just a lot of and i don't mean saturation is like too much produced but yeah too much produced but also just too much similarities you know yeah there hasn't been this i think though you know as we're talking in today's terms is you know capturing all the different fits and all the different trends you know that are happening right now you know the hipster super short 16 scallop whatever yeah. you know kind of we have some non-stretch you know board shorts in our line and i'm like oh i never want to wear those maybe at a pool or hanging out and looking good on the on the beach but not you, something you wouldn't surfing but people are surf you know they're and then you got the technical side and you got the people that want the long you know more traditional lengths yeah, why are the Aussies bringing back the 21, 22 inch porch? The baggy the 90s, 90s style. 90s style is back. Bro. It sucked back then and it sucks <laughs> well, now. Aussies are bringing that back, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. There's like a couple of brands um, that, are, that are really driving that forward, which is, um, it's, it's interesting. Like fashion always comes around and things that you hopefully never want to see again come back up. And You know me over the falls and neat, neat board short on caught on the knees and almost rip them it's just it's, functionally it sucks but i get the look and i get the fashion aspect but when, yeah. practical fashion well it, <laughs> that, it, it's good you i've had surf shop owners that have had talks with their kids employees that if they're going to work in the shop they got to wear because they're wearing all this thrift shop stuff and yeah. old 90s oh, yeah. like it is a fat it's like that's the trend no, yeah. I know. But the bag I know it's a trend, but is it fashion? <laughs> for certain people it is, not for us. Like I'm like <laughs> It's a weird It was one. dead buried. Bring back the hipsters. <laughs> <laughs> Bring back hipster clothing. The, the, the emu. Bring emu, back the mama. <laughs> no, but there's there's I think the you know, when we talk about subcultures within surfing all the time, yeah. you know, you got the the hipster, you got the fashion guy, you got the jock, you got the traditional, you know, granola. The, the granola, yeah, there's, you know, all these people participating within the industry and, you know, we go back decades, there was one look that kind of really only catered to one type of person, you know, and it's really hard to find those variations of, you know, fits and brands and now it's like everything's happening. Yeah, yeah. You know? I, I wouldn't even if someone asked me to describe what a surfer looked like, I wouldn't even know what to say. You like, can't. No, it's it's impossible. Yeah, it's impossible. Gone are the days that they're a long haired, like stoner looking person living out the back of like a VW Combi. Like that's just not what a surfer is anymore. It's, yeah, like, it's that's a an interesting. It, but it's that's an interesting point. Like surfing has evolved so much that it's devolved too. Well, I, I think you it's know? it's just like a. Instead of a, a, a being a lifestyle, it's just like a pastime almost. Like it's like going like, do you look like a golfer? Or like every five days a week when you only play golf one day a week, like it's just a, it's just some a part of your life rather than like your whole life. Yeah, it's um it's strange because like it, you used to be able to tell what a surfer looked like so easily. Yeah, and for the last I, I, ever since I started surfing, um until probably the last fifteen years, I think it's just kind of fallen off where you never know. Yeah. You never know. I think for the young kids, you know, that are going through this like nineties, you know, maybe revival. Yeah. They they're you know, they just don't care whatever, they think it's cool and then maybe the couple of girls they hang out with are also wearing the low cut baggy jeans and that's kind of the 
you know, punk slash goth, whatever combo. Yeah. That's cool. But, you know, the minute, like, you wear something where, you know, it's a little bit more upscale or a little bit more, like, you know, fitted right or whatever. Fit. And then you get compliments and you're like, wow, fucking chicks are checking me out. I think you'll get really over that kind yeah. of look. Yeah. I trip you on know? how fast trends come and go in this stage of our lives. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's crazy. Like, they are so flippant on, on what their trend is or their look. Yeah. It's crazy. It so is. talking, you know, from a brand owner, you know, and a designer for so long, I mean, how hard is that to stay true to your 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 brand DNA and, and without going too too trendy and changing the, the total, you know, look and vibe of, of what you started with, you know? You gotta have a little bit of play in what's trendy, but you gotta stay true to what you're inspired by and mm-hmm. kind of like that classic or whatever look. Like it's gotta be so freaking hard. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, for me, it's always been trying to stick to, a, like, a core sensibility. So, like, you guys, I think, have said a lot of it already, but, like, you, you want something to fit correct. You don't want it to be super oversized or super tight. You want it to be flattering for, for whatever body shape you are. And you stick with more, like, classic prints, like, like uh, for example, like, polka dots, stripes... Hawaiian prints, they're all like they're all graphics that will never go out of style. They'll have Camo. their days. Camo, Camo as Rasta. Well. Yeah, like there's like those core those core uh, fits and then those those core prints that are that are always gonna be relevant. They'll come in and out of trend, but the if you stick to those kind of core sensibilities then you'll be always relevant. You might not look the coolest at one stage, yeah. but you'll you'll look somewhat relevant all the time. Yeah, you can't being a brand, you can't chase every trend because you'll just go out of style and people will like stop and look at what you're doing. And they're like, you know, you're dumb. Yeah, <laughs> There's got to be a little, Who bit, are you? Yeah, what a little are bit you? of a backbone, like, yeah. you know, core story to, you know, what your Yeah, you got to have look is. a flag that you fly yeah. and that you become known for. And then that's it. Yeah. This this guy got super stoked when the the high waters came in the little sweatpants because <laughs> he still has to cut his pants. So dare you, I. Dude? How dare you? You know, I think it's just because you're you're trying to show off your socks, huh? The cool socks you wear. Yeah. The black, the yeah. white, the gray. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> then I've got a height problem as well, mate. So I, I, I'm on your yeah. side. <laughs> yeah. Shut up, Lar. Yeah. Um, uh, no, so but going fun. back to the flattery, no matter what your body type is or whatever and something that you're confident and comfortable in but um it, yeah you look out on the streets it's different it's like man where, what era are we living in you yeah know? it's a melting pot of i mean 60s to present and yeah. regurgitated everything yeah you know there's no oh that we're gonna look back in 20 years and be like oh remember like 2020 2025 like that look yeah what look yeah. You know, like totally. you could almost go back 10 years and be like, what look? Yeah. Right. I don't know. So, yeah. so Globe did that for how long? Uh, I was at Globe for four years um, and loved it. Had the best time ever. Like looking back on it, it, it was. Um, well, that's was, where you, you learned the most, right? Learned the most. There was a lot of money in the surf industry, like we were talking about before. So 
there was exciting things going on and, and Globe was a was a pretty big business. Like they have a big distribution business in, in Australia. They also have pretty huge sales over here in the US at the time and they were sponsoring events in Fiji and I was able to go and kind of enjoy those and see my brother there as well, which was awesome and it was um yeah, there, there was just a lot of freedom. Yeah. And then And to give those guys their what do you call it? Acknowledgement, the Hill Brothers. Yeah. Like, out of all the businessmen that run these companies and create these brands, they've kind of been last man standing. They live and breathe it. Like, those <laughs> two guys are like, right? Like, oh. I don't think yeah. we've ever really brought that up or talked about it, but holy crap, these guys yeah. have been really. They're diligent, yeah. disciplined, yeah. and like well, they did. Yeah, all of all of that. What you said, you know, mm-hmm. their passion and what you said, diligent, great businessmen. But they've they've struck when trends are hot. Whether it's the penny board or yeah. you know, yeah. like they right yeah. or or they and they license. Don't they license Stussy in Australia? They they or have they on and off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They've but had they the diversified. From, you know, yeah. like like they're they're they bought fucking salty crew. Yeah. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of things that these guys, the Hill Brothers, have done. You're just, like, scratching your head, like, wow, that was kind of smart. Yeah. That was pretty brilliant. Yeah. And they're still doing it. Like, yeah. and they've never been sold. They've no. been independently owned, right? Well, they're, they're public, publicly yeah. listed. But they're the two guys, or how many brothers there are, but yeah. they run the company. Yeah, their the younger brother, Matt, is has been the CEO for before I, or well, since I was there. So, gosh, like 15 years or something. So it's a long time to be running a company. Yeah. Um, and he does a great job. And, and I think under, they speak a lot internally with Peter and Stephen because they're, they're such visionaries and they've been doing it for so long. Like they, they basically introduced skateboarding in a, in a big way to Australia yeah. with like distributing so many brands. Um, and what I really was inspired by those two, they're, they're so product-focused. And, and that, that's what I was as well. They, they have great people that are really good at marketing and, and all that other kind of front-facing stuff, but they love product. Like the, it was so exciting, like, coming to work some days and Peter would come in with some, like, pair of pants that he's bought in, like, Sweden or wherever he'd been on holiday. And he'd be like, I love the cut of this. It's, like, this fabric is amazing. And we'd, like, talk about fabric and, and cuts for, like, hours. And just having that... Um, having the access to someone that was just so inspiring to me at the time was, was I felt really fortunate because yeah, I was yeah. just a young kid. The only thing it. that uh, I will say is wasn't the smart thing to do was to do clothing for Globe. <laughs> um, yeah. I, well. I, 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 don't, I don't know. Like it, 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 my, my time there, I, I probably learnt the the most in the shortest amount of time and it enabled me to go from designing one category to designing all categories so I, I felt like I was able to be a more rounded designer whereas like most most design positions within surf companies yeah. you're stuck to one thing and that's all you do yeah. you, you don't have anything well, and I, I don't mean to demean the globe clothing oh, no, no, I'm yeah. talking about every company 
that's a shoe brand mm. that always tries, we've said this before, they always try to get to diversify their portfolio or add to their company yeah. and it's clothing, yeah. right? Yeah. I saw it with DVS. Yeah. I saw it with, you know, um, uh, Supra. Mm. Um, Etnies tried to do it. Like all the shoe brands like try to Dress somebody head to toe. Yeah. And on the flip side, all the clothing companies also try to get into footwear. You know? Yeah. Like, you know, Volcom, Quicksilver. For like, sure. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, those two are, you know. And it's, it it doesn't, there's nothing that really has worked outside of, like, Vans. Like, yeah. remember Reef tried to do yeah. it? You know, everyone's tried to do it, but yeah. it's very, it's a tricky thing. Like. It is. I don't know sure. if it's a. a, a psychological thing with consumers or or retailers you know what i mean mm. like your shoes your footwear we can't cross the streams you know yeah. what i mean like you're good for that like you're i i think it's a lot of retail investment and support you know like yeah. I, I feel like there's there's probably consumers out there that would make it viable you know yeah. but i think when retailers are trying to carve up specific space yeah. and it's like well you're not proven and you're here i'm just going to it's really hard though they, you know uh, buyers and, and shop owners will kind of just like well they'll we've had success here we'll just keep you here yeah you know it's like well let's go here and it's like well i'm already getting that from x y and z yeah. you know like yeah it's, it's definitely tough it's tough because when you pioneer into a new category it's always you gotta fucking hit it out of the park right for sure like you have to hit the nail on the head and yeah. And it's hard because, it, you know, you're asking a retailer to take a gamble on something else. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But it, they're already winning in, in this category with these other brands. Yeah. Why should they? Yeah, you're killing it with the footwear. And yeah, I'll, I'll hand you, I'll, I'll carry your tees. Your tees mm-hmm. are selling with the shoes. But yeah. now you want to make board shorts? Yeah. Like, mm. I already have 10 brands I'm buying board shorts from. Yeah. And there's 15 that want to try to sell. Support. You know, like it yeah. just... I think yeah. in our our limited. And that's what I was saying about Globe no, yeah, clothing, because you guys, they, I mean, they just stopped making clothing. Yeah, like last right? last year. Yeah, yeah, they had a good run of it. Like they, and yeah, they also invested a huge amount of money into their team. Yeah. Like they had the Hub Goods, they had um, uh, like uh, the bunch of like date when they brought Day on as well. So they had like a, this cross section of full pro surfer to like. Um, like cool trendy Australian goofy footer that does aerials like and um so they had the full gamut of, yeah. of people on their on their roster I just um yeah I agree with you guys I think that it, it's hard sometimes for retailers yeah. to to carve out space for a brand that they only want one category from and they, they don't really want to see anything else from and yeah and I think that's like um spurred into a lot of amazing brands like slow tie for example that just they, they do one product and that's really great for that retailer because they come in and they do it better than everyone else instead of it just being like an added on thing bro loose towels is better oh yeah yeah, yeah sorry i should have said that <laughs> no but, it, it, but, but no, no. <laughs> totally we, yeah. we, well we talk yeah. about you know let's look at nixon you know yeah and you look at you know a brand that finds a space that nobody's really competing at or really putting much care and effort and developing, you know, and, and those brands have kind of really flourished because they stay in their lane stance socks, yeah, exactly. you know, yeah. 
And then, like you mentioned, like towel category or, you know, but those just like Globe or just like, you know, any other Volcom getting into whatever it is, they, they need to get into other categories yeah, yeah, eventually. Yeah. It's kind of like could work and most often it doesn't. Yeah. You know? Yeah. What, what we uh, were talking about earlier with distribution and, and staffing up, right? Mm-hmm. Like preparing for growth. And, you know, I think that's that's a tough thing about being a brand is if you're killing it with, with a category, you're like, okay, well, we built equity in our brand. Yeah. You know, we have equity. We have we have the power, the name. Mm. This we're, we're we're successful with this silhouette. Let's try something else cuz we got, you know, mouths to feed and yeah. we just hired 10 more guys. What else the can pre- we do? What else can we put our name on? Mm. Which it's a bummer because yeah. there's no I, I don't have a answer or solution to it, but that's what happens to these companies. The bigger you get, the more volume you do, the more people you have to support. Yeah. Well, you know, going back to Nixon, you know, the the speaker and the headphone world was just starting to explode and they went heavy and hard air blaster, you know, yeah. like they mm. and it was them and then Skull Candy and then all of a sudden Beats came in, Yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. with like big money and big names and way dominant you know yeah, yeah. they were that apple of like headphones yeah. and stuff you know they got into backpacks and accessories too no no yeah. nixon did and then they started getting into like you know fashion jackets but yeah. their wallets they had big belts and like mm-hmm. accessories and bags it was you know just there and yeah. i think 2008 when you know things shuffled and brands had to kind of consolidate yeah. or whatever and some took off and some yeah. had to kind of put you know, handle yeah. the dust. But. And it, I don't know why, but like what you said about Slow Tide, you know, they, they take a category that's been forgotten. Yeah. Because brands have made towels. Yeah. Brands have made socks. Yeah. Brands have made backpacks. Like, yeah. I, I remember fucking putting Quicksilver backpacks, Quicksilver socks and whatever at HSS on top of the counter. Yeah. You know, and that was long before Stance, long before Herschel, long before any of these category specific things were around. Yeah. Vulcan, you're like Volcom socks were fucking the kids socks with all their little characters and you know, <laughs> they were here. I mean, my kids, that's all they wanted yeah, with the, yeah. with the hoodie that zipped up too. Yeah. You know, <laughs> totally. like th- those but, were the crazy fun socks and then the yeah. weed socks. And then, you know, we talk about like Huff Huff, weed socks. Yeah. Like, they crush it. Fuck. They crazy. crushed it. That was like the weirdest all of a sudden, Huff was a healthy big brand. Yeah. Because of the socks. Yeah. And then they got into shoes. Yeah. And those things lasted for a couple of years and then Yeah. So I guess the the moral of the story is <laughs> that, like, let's stick to our lane. Yeah. Well So so Globe, you you last you were there for five years, four, four years? Four four and a half years, okay. yeah. And then and then O'Neill? Um well you mentioned two thousand eight. So two thousand eight, yeah. like obviously was horrific for everybody in yeah. the industry and, and the world like globally um we had some huge cuts at globe in like all areas of the business um unfortunately I, I was i was kind of caught up in that um which turned out to be 
a, a fortunate thing. Like, I, I was living in Melbourne and I was pretty unhappy as well. Like, it, I was traveling nonstop and work was great, but like, living in Melbourne was not where Cold I wanted dreary, to be. Like, wet and not. Just not surfing. Yeah. Like, I. I, I I just wasn't in the water because I was living in the city and I was doing other things that were great. It was, I was be- becoming more culturally aware and, and which I enjoyed. and City life. Yeah, just city life. But there was something in me, which I'm sure you guys can understand, where if you're never surfing, there's, it's always in the back of your head that you, there's something missing. Yeah. Um, and so when, when that happened, I was like, oh, you know what, I'm just going to, this is a, this has got to be a silver lining here. I'll, I'll move somewhere where I'm happy, like innately happy to be around. And Sydney was um, on the cards and I was like, you know what, maybe I'll just go try Sydney out. And I moved to Bondi, which I'm not sure if you, you haven't been to Australia yet, huh? but you've probably spent time in Bondi. A little bit. I mean, surf quality around there, you know, we're mostly in Arabian Avalon yeah. or, you know. Yeah, Northern Beach is a way better for yeah. waves, but as far as like, um, happening and like, yeah, yeah, there was like a lot of, so, yeah, busy, Beach City. Yeah, like Insight was um, kind of getting born out of there. Subi was getting born out of there. There was like a lot of great stuff going on within like the fashion surf world in Australia. The hipster revolution. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. <laughs> That's where it all started. So I, I moved to, to Bondi and um, I was actually just going to take like a year off and just kind of figure out where I wanted to, to go and within of being in Sydney for, I think I was let there less than two weeks and a recruiter rang me up about a job and it ended up being at O'Neill. And so I went over to their office um, on the Northern Beaches and had like an amazing interview with, um, with the general manager there. I think his name was Michael Heath. And um, we just got along really well and connected and uh, decided that it would be a good fit for me to come on board. And I thought it was gonna. I thought it was gonna be a really exciting experience working for the oldest surf brand in the world, which I thought, from my viewpoint on it, wasn't utilizing all of its assets for the Australian market. I think what they were doing in in America and, and globally was was relevant for the brand that they where they situated themselves. But in Australia, I really felt like they that really technically heavy product. Uh, wasn't really relevant for the consumer base there. So I I went about and was given the freedom to, to change that. So I, I, I felt like I made it a lot more kind of contemporary and uh, a little bit more um, mature and uh, also uh, grabbed a lot of their heritage imagery that they that the, the, the O'Neill family had up in Santa Cruz and started doing a lot of like... Um, black and white like vintage t-shirt prints that were like more in line with what what kind of kids wanted to wear in Australia at the time and um and also was went a little bit lighter on like the crazy technical board shorts and did some more elastic shorts and just brought in the and also we changed like the whole the whole logo and how it was utilized on product we changed all of that that then got adopted globally across the whole brand wow um so there was i was just fortunate enough in in like all my jobs i've just been given so much freedom to like do a lot of things that probably were really risky sometimes because i I made some huge mistakes at o'neill where like i i just absolutely kook things and and things wouldn't sell but there was also some some good wins on the table that uh proved that hopefully some of the ideas were good but it was um, it was really cool to just work for like a core surf brand too. Yeah. Like Rob Bain was there, who I'm, I'm a huge fan of, and 
Rob Bean was working for O'Neill. Yeah, 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 yeah. Bainey was there, um, and so there was just a, a really good team involved. And then um, Geordie Smith came on board when when I was working there too, and I was able to meet Geordie a few times. And I actually broke my nose um, on this surfing thing with him. Can you guys remember when Stab did that? Um, uh, the, the 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 jet thing out of the back of his board. And he got like towed into waves, and he was doing airs, like similar to Bruce in Indo with the, the flame. Remember, with the flame, did you see that? that those shots with of Jordy? Yeah, I'll I'll have to send them to you. But we were we were um, doing the, some tow-ins at uh, South Narrabeen, which is like the worst wave in the world. It's closeouts, and um, I was surfing just like on, on the shore near him, and uh, I like went over the falls on a wave, and my board hit me and like broke my nose. It was, <laughs> <laughs> so it sucked. Um, but yeah, like all in all, it was a, it was a really good experience, and and they they gave me a lot of opportunities to to grow and and work with people that were were great at what they did, like Geordie and and Rob. So it was it was a fun time. Yeah. Was really well, good. you look at O'Neill, even you know the 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 heritage and the history of mm. it, and you're like, you know, you can't let any of it go to waste. You know, like oh. it, there's some stuff that you know, maybe is a little bit forgotten. Like you said, if you have that archives to kind of dig through and repurpose it or really kind of reinvent some of that, I mean, that's what you want to do with a brand like that, right? Yeah. Or yeah. any brand that's been around and that's kind of, what's, you know, what's kind of resonating to the, the people that grew up with the brand, but also yeah. the new people that you're introducing it to. Yeah. Exactly. What I was thinking of when, when you were talking about changing the look of O'Neill and what the surf industry at the time with the board board short wars mm. it got really jockey yeah right yeah like everyone it was big logos yeah you know it was all about competition it was Kelly Andy Taj mm. Parco Mick it was all about competition and really jock yeah and that's cool, but it's not really fashion. No. It's not really... Um, it's a battle of logos. Yeah. It's just a battle of logos. It's yeah. really jockey. And yeah. I think what, what you're saying is like, hey, let's take the, 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 the technical foil. You know what I mean? Yeah. It almost got to be like surfing at one point in time was really jockey and it was really... Almost like, um, what's that freaking brand with the foil? Remember gold printed? Affliction. Affliction. Right? Like <laughs> yeah, it yeah, got yeah. to that, like, they crossed. The couture affliction. Yeah. They, you know, that, yeah. that era of uh, the gold MMA. Foil. Yeah, bedazzled. Like, bedazzled. Yeah. Gold foil was so hot for a while. <laughs> I, I definitely put some t-shirts out with gold foil. On yeah. <laughs> but, but that's what I mean, because you obviously have really good style, right? And you have good fashion sense where you and the hipster part that I always bring up and make fun of you yeah. and it's not making fun of you it's because you got cool stuff Thanks, man. and to me he wear, he's wearing a beanie <laughs> to me that's like you know what I mean like anything I, I'm always be- wearing a beanie or a hat because I'm a freaking because you, you, you're you're taking something that's not archaic but mm. O'Neill is a name that's prestigious and heritage in the surf world. Yeah. And 
the cool kid isn't going to wear it. Yeah. And yeah. you're trying to design for multiple people, but you absolutely want the cool kid to wear it. Yeah. And that's what you were doing. Yeah. Is taking off the bedazzle. Yeah. And hey, you know, instead of having all this flair, yeah. let's fucking, you know, make it cool. Yeah, it's just simplifying. Yeah. It was all that really needed. It like all the ingredients were there. They just needed to be like mixed together a little bit differently to, yeah. to make it relevant for, for that market that I, w- I was like looking after. Yeah. Like, if I was over in the US working for La Jolla, I would have been doing exactly what they were doing because it was, it was perfect for the market here. Um, but I just could see that sales were, were kind of declining at that time for that brand and, and I, I saw that there could be a gap and, and we luckily enough like we took some risks and took advantage of the, those openings and it, it did for the most part pretty well. I, you know, a lot of brands have kind of tried to incorporate at global headquarters and kind of wanting the, the brand to have the same messaging this, same. you know I, mean, I get it on marketing you know like hey you know these athletes or or this silhouette or whatever but I, I think that was kind of maybe a little more harm than, than good for a lot of these brands yeah. that try to mm-hmm. in, in, incorporate like well we got to hit you know you know, MOQ and we're going to share fabric and we're going to make it for, you know, all these different territories or countries. And, you know, I think it needs to be a little bit more specialized for for certain markets. Like, you know, hey, there are maybe a a silhouette or a style or something that will work across globe. But, you know, like, let's just keep, you know, what's what's trending and happening in Australia, like there. And if it works here, cool, we'll adopt it or try to share. But I think it got to a point with a lot of the brands of like, nope, the, this is the message, this is the look, and they kind of you yeah. know did more harm than good when they yeah. got to... It's weird, because there's certain eras where that works, and then mm. there's certain eras it doesn't, right? Like, there's definitely like a global appeal sometimes, yeah. and, then, and then, you know, certain periods of the year, there's way more individu- individualists. Yeah. But, or, but, but, you know jackets or pants something that just doesn't change that often but like graphics Mm -hmm. or or t-shirt you know like fabrications or you know there's definitely things that change a lot more often than than like your kind of brick and mortar like core store you know like chinos okay hey you know we're gonna have a couple different fits it don't change that much but when it comes to you know whether it's floral prints or you know going back to the the geo prints or mm. or or this like yeah, the geo stuff. or right now yeah right you got <laughs> tie-dye yeah. camo i mean tie-dye yeah but you know right the yeah there's a just stuff doesn't work everywhere you yeah. know yeah so o'neill o'neill and then um i was uh i, I was on a, a trip a work trip i was on the tail end of it i'd been in LA, New York, um, then Tokyo, Hong Kong, and then I was finishing up in um, Bangalore in, in, in India. And so I'd been away for like a month, this hectic work trip. And I'd been uh, on and off talking to a brand called the Critical Slide Society, TCSS, mm. for like a, almost a year. Um, the One of the co-founders of that brand, Sam Coombs, is, uh, was a really good friend of mine and is the hardest working, most creative person I've almost ever been around. He's like incredible. Um, and he 
he'd been wanting me to come and join the team because they actually didn't have any employees at this time. It was like uh, just him, Jim, and Susie that were a married couple that was his business partners. And they they were just a grassroots little cool brand coming out of Bondi in, in, in Sydney and, and doing really, really creative stuff. Like not the most commercial, but really creative and fun. Um, and definitely more so like on the on the longboarding alternative side of surf rather than like the technical shortboard stuff that I've, I've been doing. And um, I Sam had sent me this like offer letter that had just been kind of sitting in my inbox for so long, and I was kind of just pushing it off because I was I was nervous. I felt like it was leaving the security of like a big multinational company, had like crazy team writers, and um, had a company credit card etc to going being the first employee for basically a startup but had had presence like big, some really good presence in japan and, and australia and some here like it's failure and what was their like product mix when you came on it was basically just it was tees bodies and woven shirts really and some caps um but it was it was basic yeah but they, they were doing a really good job and they had like a cult following like a small really cult following it was it was really cool um and uh the yeah he 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 tried really hard to get a package together that was um that was uh gonna make me leave like a a safe job and i eventually yeah i was sitting in india i was just like you know what i've been playing pretty safe i i may as well try something different and see if i can if i can do this and so um I like uh, signed signed the form, sent it back to him, and said I'm on. And then like the two days later, I arrived back in Sydney, resigned, and then started at Critical Slide like a week later. And I spent like four years there, I think. Um, and that was that was super scary and super daunting at the start, like going from like a big office with like big warehouse out the back and all these employees and different people around the world that you can communicate with to help out do what you're doing to just me sitting in the office. Well, we're going to have to have you do design and then shipping and then you're going to have <laughs> yeah. to go do production and then you're going to have yeah. to go uh, sweep the floor and clean the bath and then yeah. you're going to have to go and there's no budget and you're getting paid the same for all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but it was awesome though because I think one of one of the things I felt um, I felt was really difficult working for these big brands is I, I wanted to offer my help in everything not my expertise because I didn't have it but I, I wanted to be involved to learn and because I think if you if you understand marketing or you understand sales you're going to be a better designer because you, you you understand like what you guys are going through selling the product and you understand how the marketing team have, has their difficulties taking it to market and so I, I just wanted to know more um, so I could be better at what I did and so, but with all those other positions, I wasn't really able to do that. Whereas going to TCSS, I was able to do everything. I, I would I'd go show the range to to retailers. I'd, I'd do design stuff. I'd go to production. I'd go to China or in, in India or Bali to do production stuff. I'd do I'd come to the US and do trade shows. Like it was it was just all encompassing, and I loved that because it you're not just I don't think it's like changing what you're doing every day, but just being able to be involved with the full circle yeah. is what like I, I really enjoy. Which is so important, right? Like, yeah. you know, I think it is us reps when people sells because our life depends on what brings at the register, just like for the mm-hmm. company, like you got to make good stuff, but yeah. 
you know, our criticism or our input or our, you know, we have to understand the opinion, you know, like, you know, it, it, it sometimes is a little, um, not well received with, with designers, you know? Yeah. And the vice versa, like, Oh, you you know, it's, it's definitely a weird balance. It's weird because for the most part, designers design for the future. Yeah. And that's the problem between sales and the and design is because they're thinking ahead. Yeah. And our mentality is what's selling now. Yeah, yeah, totally. You know, and that, yeah. like, we, we want to sell that because it's cool, yeah. but no one wants that right now. No one's seen it yet. Yeah. No one's had success with it yet. So... Mm-hmm. Can we just do this one again? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you gotta look at history. You gotta look at present and the future, and that's your your hundred. You know, you're you're right with what they are we're, know, we're, so far ahead. Make the logo bigger. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, we are subjective to the you know like our opinion and what the what we're seeing at sell through versus what the buyer's seeing mm-hmm. and wants, and you know it's like usually our formulation isn't just super individual you know like it's not just us it's a kind of a collective of like you know yeah. voices from the other territories uh, it, it, and yeah it, yeah so it, it's not you know i don't you know when but it's those who speak the truth or, yeah. or opinion yeah kind of gets the brunt of like oh you're you know that that balance between future design and at once business is so mm-hmm. It's hard. It's, yeah. It's a hard thing to um, place your bets on. For sure. Because how long, how long will you hang your hat on a cargo short? Cargo short's killing it. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Cargo short is killing it. Yeah. It just keeps killing it. Well, and you're like, okay, when is it going to stop? I don't know. Who cares? Yeah. And then, okay, you know. Yeah. What? Season comes and, and you're like, hey, the cargo shorts are starting to slow down. What? <laughs> we ordered yeah. fucking 2,000 of them. <laughs> oh. I think it's that 80 20 rule. Like, as long as you 80% like, the stuff. Wait, wait, pause. We got a dog that's gonna freaking. <laughs> this guy's crazy. <laughs> no, I, I, I. That 80 20, I think, is, is an, an important you know, concept and, and stat to kind of like, you know, kind of rely on, you yeah. know, yeah. it doesn't matter what brand, you know, you got to stay true again to the back history and what the brand is all about and yeah. 20% of future or trend or whatever. That way you're kind of not taking too much risk. Yeah. But I mean, on the Ruka side, we've always been a little bit forward, you know, on a lot of things. And then it doesn't click mm. when, when it's in market or whatever. And then they kind of digress. And again, that's above my pay grade with who makes all those decisions of like, you know, not falling through a, a few seasons in. Mm. And then all of a sudden, like 10 brands come out with it like a year later. And then, they, yeah. and then it kind of hits. And yeah. I'm like, man, if we just would have stuck with that, like one more season, yeah. We would have gotten the benefit of yeah. it not, you know, so timing. it's definitely timing and, and yeah. you know, having commit commitment to yeah. 
standing behind something, even yeah. though if it is a little bit of obscure, not really on trend, it's like, hey, that's we believe in it and we got to preach it. And then and that, that's tough, too. That's you know? tough. Yeah. Um, so. Critical slide. Yep. Yep. So I was there. Yeah. For, I think it was about four years. Um, but that, that, that was a really interesting time. Like, as I said before, like I, I was a bit of a, a jack of all in there, just doing a lot of different things, which, which uh, again, like I, I really appreciated and loved like getting s- such a 360 view of product from like the very start to, to when it's in store onto, onto the consumer. And uh, that, that was an invaluable learning experience. Um, and, and I also got to spend a lot of time on the factory floor. Like uh, we were doing uh, a lot of production in Bali in this like tiny little factory near Chenggu. And I'd end up, I'd go over there to meaning to be there for like a week. Surf, <laughs> work on my tan and surf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ma- mainly my tan and surfing. But <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd go over there for meaning to be there for like a week. And then we'd, I'm not sure if you guys have done any production in Bali, but it's a nightmare. And there's always problems. There's always holidays, there's raining. It's just, it's, it's hectic. So I'd end up being there for like a month or two at a time. And I, and I just couldn't, I couldn't live my life like that. Like I had my, my partner back in, back in Australia and I'd just be like, oh, I'll see you in a week and then not home for like two months. And so I got to a point where I was to Jim and, and uh, Jim, Sam and Suze. I was like, why don't I just move to Bali? Oh, I can be like on the factory floor every day. I can do everything I'm still doing. I can fly to Hong Kong for a day. Like I, I, I used to like get a midnight flight out of, out of Bali, Denpasar, land in Hong Kong at like six in the morning, have meetings all day with factories, get on a flight at 6 p.m. and be back in Bali by midnight. It's Dang. Like 24 hour trip. And it was, just, it, was, it was just so central. Or I could go to Japan and have meetings up there with our distributor. I could come back to Australia to like campaign shoots. It was just more central being located there than anywhere else. <laughs> and the ways were fucking good there. The perfect yeah. place to live. Oh, it, it was so good. It's so good. But it trains you to have this very unrealistic view on where you are in life because you, you 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 don't have to make a lot of money to live really really good you have this incredible house at the pool you have someone looking after the pool for you you have like a pambantu keeper yeah you everything a cleaner yeah. you got a cook if you want one exactly. you got somebody run your errands if you want one yeah. the most nothing. perfect wave the most delicious cuisine great food yeah, yeah. yeah. let's go fudge yeah. But can we? Once you come home, though, to the real life, you like you like. Yeah, that makes it even harder. Yeah, that that was really spoiled. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's like you said. You 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 get this false sense of like, you know, not not many people live like this in normal in the normal world. Mm. You know, and you're not this you know multimillionaire where that's what it takes to be living like that in most other places. Yeah, you're kind of. You know, you're a granola surfer. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. But <laughs> so, it was incredible. Like, you just get to surf. I was surfing Changu most mornings, you know, such fun waves, really good food, like you were saying, Lyndon. And just, it was a great, great place. And it was, and it was amazing for work, too. Like, that was, like, one of the best parts. Like, for, for the business, it was really, really good. Um, well, you're living in, like, a metropolitan-style, like, melting pot, but you're, you're in a beach scene. Yeah. yeah. You know, like, the amount Third of... Third world, but with every amenity you could ask for. Well, you know? I'm just, like, talking yeah. on the fashion side. You're getting people globally that are coming in, like, into a little, you know, island, beach, you know, community, but... Yeah. Like, I know, but 
what I'm saying is like it's a third world country, but you're not living third world. You're mm-hmm. living no first way. class. Yeah, yeah, right? first, uh, yeah, like definitely first class. It was it was insane. Like we and the factory that we were dealing with. I'm not sure if you saw those um, custom-made board short tours that we did through Japan. So we'd go to like Ron Herman and like do, um, we'd set, I, I'd set myself up in one of those stores and customers would come in and design their own pair of shorts with me. And for for uh, Critical Slide? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'd spend like, I'd go to Japan and do these like week-long tours to different retailers and design board shorts with customers, <laughs> which I, I, I don't know how I did that looking back on it now, but it was... Um, it was fun. So we just set up this like full backdrop of like all the different threads, the different prints you could choose, and then I'd design it on the computer with them. And I'd go back to Bali and sit in these factories for like months trying to put these like custom shorts together. Like it was wow, torturous. But the customers loved it, and we'd do it like year, like every year for a few years. We were doing it, and it was it it taught the Japanese consumer that we were like the, the custom board short brand so it helped like other sales as well um, but it was, it was super fun got it's to a do great it. little niche yeah it's yeah. kind of rad yeah but like you couldn't do that anywhere else except Bali like anywhere else in the world like you go to China and like, having yeah. somebody there like babysitting the factory at the no that pocket has red stitch no yeah. that ham has yellow you know like just pointing out the yeah so much work I mean Vans does that still right with shoes and uh, Nike custom custom I don't know maybe you know like certain, Nike ID right certain brand yeah but yeah. like I don't remember board short, anybody doing no board short. it was very bespoke but fun it was yeah. cool it was, yeah. it was interesting seeing what people come, come up with as well like they'd come up with just colorways or combinations of yardage was it never think was of. it uh, like individual consumers or was it a shop Individual consumers. Wow, so that's we, like we, we crazy. Would, we would design like like um, a couple hundred pairs of shorts a day with people. Were they upcharged? They were expensive, really <laughs> expensive. So Fuck like, yeah, and but they were with like really good, like Ron Herman over. So like they're they're ex- an expensive store as it is, um, and we had like a whole section of their store, and was, and then we went and did it at like the Green Room Festival, that um, music festival in Yokohama. We'd do it there as well. Like it was. It was a wild experience. Like, the consumer was just so stoked. Yeah. But that was so something stoked. that, like, Japanese culture was already kind of familiar with and, and already had on the wetsuit side. Everything was kind of custom. 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 Yeah. yeah. You know, like, the store, you didn't, you wouldn't go into a... But I don't think... never been there. I don't think any board short, even Japanese... There's no board short company that was making custom board shorts. No, but uh, for for the for our listeners, yeah. like you wouldn't go to a surf shop and see fifteen brands of like fifty suits of each brand. Yeah. You, it, it would only be a couple. Yeah. For to to show you like design. Yeah. And then they would yeah. measure you, and then you'd open this book of all the materials. Yeah. You know, pages, so you pages order your, of colors. You could order your quiver, custom, your yeah. be wet, your yeah. rash. Yeah, and your shorts and your axe. Yeah, but it would. Yeah, you know, hey, I want this colored stitching, and I want these pants. You know, these pants. You know, whatever. Yeah. But that that you know, going back, that Japanese culture, they understood it. They understood it, and it was kind of like you could charge a premium, and yeah. they were fine with that because yeah. they were like, yeah, yeah, they were like, I want to look good. So critical slide. Yeah, and then after that. Um, came Banks Journal with um with like our Japanese distributor Masa, 
was a became a really close friend of mine because I was spending a lot of time in in Tokyo doing karaoke nights and <laughs> Maso was critical slide distributor. Yeah, yep, yep. Okay. He was a critical slide distributor. Jungle Jam, is it? Yep, Jungle okay. Jam. Um, what year was this? Uh, this was twenty thirteen. Um, so yeah, like ten, 10 years ago. Um, so we. Maso always wanted to like work cl- more closely together and also develop his own brand as well. Like he'd been distributing things. He, he owned that brand Royale, which I'm sure you guys yeah. know of. Um, Our buddy Casey Wee. Yeah. RIP. Yeah. Yeah. Casey's a good great, dude. Great brand. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a trip that, does he still do that? Thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He wow. still, he still develops and sells it through like Murasaki Sports and then his own stores called Port of Call, which he's got like 11 stores. Um, and the stuff looks great. It looks really cool. Um, it's pretty, pretty, it's like holister kind of stuff, like just really commercial stuff, but it works within, within the Japanese consumer. Um, but yeah, he, he, he's always wanted to do his, do his own brand. And so he, he, him and I started discussing the, the idea. Sam Combs was also like a part of the initial kind of talks about it. And, but what we kind of got to a point was like, um, Sam was like too busy, obviously, to owning and running Critical Slide Society, um, and I really wanted to do it with with Masa and and but I knew I couldn't do it by myself, so then I went and uh, got Tim, who's like a lifelong friend from Byron Bay, who like we we both worked at Ripcoll together, and then gone off to do our own individual kind of um, careers within the surf industry. He ended up going to like a uh, rhythm and and being like their first designer there up to Jamal Gray, who's like an incredible board shot designer as well. And um, then he went to doing Hurley and was like the head of product for Hurley in Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, did a lot, it was like back and forth from the US a lot and working with like the Nike team all the time and was just so knowledgeable um, from a, a business kind of standpoint, structural standpoint. Um, and uh, then so we, we wanted to start something together so we we started banks and um, we were fortunate enough to kind of be able to launch in, in Japan through like a lot of really top retailers like Beans and United Arrows and um, Freaks and uh, Ron Herman because of Master's kind of connections over there and yeah. his, his distribution business did you launch in Japan first it was US Japan and Australia all at the same time it was all like all the, the same kind of month, basically. Yeah. Um, but Japan. And how had, did you come up with the name Banks? Uh, uh, well, so you guys call them sandbars. Yeah. We call them sandbanks. So like banks is just like the the sand formations underneath the ocean that the waves break off. Um, and so and then we obviously added on journal further down the track because we we fell into some like trademarking issues that were. A nightmare like when you when you're trying to trademark in, in retrospect trademarking a word like bank or banks is just really difficult because it's it's a financial institution and yeah a lot of people use that word for different things and we um we just fell up against so many brick walls along the way and unfortunately like two years in we had to rebrand everything to being banks journal which wow. was like a, a really costly journey to take where you're having to do all new labels, all new swing tags, like everything, new website, the, the whole thing had to change. And it was, um, it was scary for us because we, we were so new as well. And we would it be detrimental or would it 
not be a hindrance, you know? Yeah, and like I, I just always, I was like, this is gonna kill us. Like we're having to like rebrand ourselves now, and we've only been in the market for a couple of years. It's not like we have this huge marketing budget to explain this where, change. Where were you living when you launched the brand? I was in Sydney. Still okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I moved over to the US about six six months into the brand launching, um, and the reason being is that. We, we, uh, a guy called Jonas Lee was kind of brand managing. I think yeah. you know Jonas. I Jonas remember. is like a, a jam. Um, but such a trip how Jonas Lee is coming in, in and out of my sphere, my world. Oh, really? Yeah, because he, and I didn't even know him, but he worked for Crew and Supra. Oh, yeah, yeah. Way yeah. back, you know, in the day. Yeah, yeah. Jonas At, is. How did you guys connect with? Jonas got connected. I forget how we originally got connected, but it was to do sales for us in the US, and he was doing a great job. Uh, but we we quickly saw that he needed more support to do his best work, um, and we also saw that like our biggest territory is definitely going to be North America, without a doubt. Um, and so there was some talk about who, who would come over and, and do it and Tim has like two daughters and a wife and has like more more things locked down than what I do um and then it's my uh, wife April hi hi how are you what pick her up at six yeah okay um uh so we uh basically draw, drew short straws and and I I decided that I was the person to um, have the shortest straw and came over here and set up an office and uh, got things going. And then um, Jonas ended up not staying around for too much longer after I got here, but he was um, he was pivotal in like getting us in a lot of great retailers. Like he got us in Thalia, he got us in American Rag, he was the one that got us in Jacks as well. Like he 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 really uh, set the table. Yeah, set the table in a very varied account base, which I think followed through the, the entire lifespan of the brand, which um, is all really because of the, that groundwork that Jonas did at the very very beginning. Yeah, yeah, which is, you know, so crucial. Not just having a, like a, a brand, you know, fashion cut and sew to fashion to printable. You know, yeah. having that kind of offering. Mm-hmm. It, also does hand in hand with the offering of like where you're selling. You can't just be pigeonholed into like just surf, you know, like mainstream, you know, mainstream shops. You got to yeah. have surf like boutiques or the kind of specialty surf. Yeah. And then you're talking about like some really nice fashion stores, yeah. you know, which gives the brand a lot of like lift. There you know? was, you know, for people that aren't in the industry and aren't in the know that there was like a a new category of surf mm. and it was a little bit more elevated a little bit more sophisticated a little bit more um i don't know higher higher price point for yeah. sure yeah and that was you know the ushering of critical slide patagonia yeah like those brands <clears throat> that kind of took you out what patagonia Patagonia too. I mean, they, the price point, uh, price points higher, right? Yeah. Higher. But they they helped usher yeah. in a, a a different kind of surf brand. Yeah, for sure. And Critical Slide Society, you know, um, Banks, Insight, even 
from before. Definitely. Like those those were brands that were like not typical surf jock brands. Yeah. They Dias you know, as well. Ruka even. Well, dude, my, I was just gonna say like my account list. Yeah. Was fifty percent non surf fashion yeah. stores. Yeah. You know, from American Rag to Fred Siegel to. Oh, but yeah. like. But, Definitely not just surf. Yeah, and and yeah. even retailers like Thalia, yeah, you know Atacama. Like there's yeah, there's different um, surf boutiques that were pop pilgrim. Like yeah, you know what I mean. There's a different kind of uh, surf retailer or shop that yeah. needed catered. like that. Yeah, like yeah, they they didn't want to fill their stores with like non-surf brands they just wanted surf brands to suit their consumer base or what they wanted to portray as surfing and I think like there was a there's a lot of great brands like Stussy Ruka that that kind of laid the pathway to, to crossing that kind of skate surf sure. fashion lifestyle yeah. that, that made it possible for brands like Rhythm Banks Journal um, uh, like Rock to, to some degree as well mm-hmm. like there's some amazing brands out there and then like Caton as well they're coming obviously they're like a legacy brand yeah. that, that have come back into the industry for the last like 10 or so years and, and are doing an amazing job yeah. that they're sitting in a lot of really great retailers and, and are giving a, like a, a different point of view than what like Billabong Quicksilver yeah. are offering so there's um there's a, there's a lot of great brands out there like it's uh, it's it's so good to see that they're they're all I think getting a bigger opportunity now to kind of shine their light and the I think the the retailers are seeing that they can make money from these brands as well. And I think Caton's probably the brand that's really driving that forward. Like they're For sure. they're really commercial but great product, have a great team kind of that, that supports them. And it's um I think that's the key is is showing the retailers that they can be profitable that yeah. they're not going to just make them look cool they're actually going to make some money from yeah. from these brands and i think a lot of a lot of like the emerging brands have really struggled to do that but it seems like Caitlin have, um has has hit a stride that a lot of other kind of yeah. smaller emerging brands haven't been able we talk to. about it quite a bit in our circle it's like covid blew up our industry yeah yeah you know like yeah. it it focused on outdoor action sports industry yeah um and part of uh Caton's rise on on the charts is because the big brands were stuck out on containers yeah and had logistical nightmares right yeah so yeah. anybody who had product and ship product because you could sell pretty much anything because yeah. people were coming to stores you know, hungry to buy. Hungry to buy. The demand was pent up, mm. and and Caton and Rhythm, Rourke, uh, we talked about this all the time. Those brands yeah. that kind of percolated underneath the big brands. Oh, they finally got their time to shine. Yeah, and they performed. Yeah. So yeah, Caton's definitely a the windfall of COVID definitely helped. Yeah, their place in the market now. Yeah, because their their styling is is awesome. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they finally, after how many years have been there, they've been around? Mm. 50 years. Yeah. They're finally, like, being talked about more and more. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, these heritage or legacy brands, you know. I mean, you can look at Quicksilver, Billabong, and 
Rip, you know, Rip Curl is like almost legacy brand now mm-hmm. for how long they've been around. Mm-hmm. You know? Oh yeah, they are the heritage legacy brand. Yeah. You know, but you know, like O'Neill, they did the the Jack collection. Yeah. You know, they start kind of tearing and catering to kind of di- different demographics within the brand. I mean, you got Bill Bond with Honolulu. You got Quicksilver with Silver Edition. Yeah. To kind of cater to that Tommy Bahama guy, and then you got. You know, whether it's a collab with some of the athletes and, and doing that more edgier, whether it's Dane Reynolds back in the day or mm-hmm. some skate, you know, like you get to that point, you're so big, you know, yeah. but, you know, yeah, it's hard to execute at all those levels at all times, especially when trends come and, you know, go or, or, or yeah. athletes come and go. Yeah. But just like, staying relevant, staying relevant yeah. is really hard. Yeah. And uh, it's almost, easier now for some of those older heritage legacy brands to kind of stay relevant because they have so much depth and history mm-hmm. which is now kind of cool again yeah. you know they yeah. just bring it out of the archive <laughs> yeah. no for sure versus yeah. somebody that's just trying to build upon something new yeah. and like yeah. well you know you're only as good as like what you have right now versus like well mm-hmm. you know what you know we'll mix in a little new and a little old and yeah. see so, what sticks so banks you launch it, two years into it, you move to U.S.? Uh, it was about a year into it. A year into it? Yeah. Now, how was the launch? Was it successful? Was it tough? Was it... Japan was really good, really yeah. quick. Like, they they um, they um blew up because of, like, Musa's kind of distribution network over there. So yeah. we were in, like, all the, all the best retailers in Japan, like, in the first And the product was on trend. It, it, yeah, it, it was pretty good. Like, it, it was... I think it was a lot more commercial when we launched. It, it I think through we w- we went through a few different designers throughout like the journey of the brand, and um, that was a that you could see that reflected on the product. Like we we started with Tim and I designing. Our background is is the surf industry, so I think it was, it was more surf orientated than Chris Schulstad, who who was working with you at Ruka yeah. for a little while, but was at Billabong, then us Ruka, and apparently is back at Billabong, which is great. Shui, Shui, he came on and he he was he transformed the product into this whole different level, and he he also his background is like board shot design, so he he made the board shots even better than what they were, made them a lot more technically kind of advanced than what Tim and I were doing, and just all around made the product so much better. Um, Plus, he, he understood surf because that was his background. And then when he left, we, we hired um, uh, this guy, Jacob McCabe, who has the same last name as me, but we're no relative. <laughs> um, but he, he comes from more of a street fashion background and, again, developed it further and made it more, I guess, kind of fashion street orientated than surf because his background wasn't surf. Um, and so it's, it's developed into something different to what it was. But at the beginning, uh, I feel like the launch was successful, but it, it was more commercial product back then that was um, more in line with, with I think, what, what the market was then as well. Like, so it was, it was a lot more logo kind of based and some good basic board shorts and good woven shirts. Um, but yeah, the, the launch was pretty good. Like, it was, it was definitely, it felt successful, like launching a brand in three different countries all at the same time was yeah. a big undertaking and... I felt we launched in some some really good retailers really quickly, which was super helpful. Like we had Brad Gerlach involved with the brand yeah. at, the, at the beginning for well, he came on like about a year in and was in, involved for a, a two two or three years, 
Um, and his involvement for North America really helped. Like he, he opened up some surf retailers that uh, we probably wouldn't have been able to get because yeah, yeah. he's he, he's definitely like a, a mark, big, a, name. a big name. Yeah, yeah, you know, totally. seeker. Yeah, yeah, he's, Lord. <laughs> yeah, he's a he's a legend, and and also he he was a great alignment with what we were trying to do because he he does have really good personal style. Like he's yeah. a bit of a style guru, both in and out of the water. And that's what we were trying to do as a brand. Um, so he, he, it felt really relevant for what we were trying to do at the time. And um, he, he was a, a crazy guy to meet, like one of my heroes growing up and got to do some work with him and, and see how he, he holds himself within a business situation was, was interesting and, and something that I learned a lot from. And, um, but, uh, and yeah, as I said, like it opened up a lot of doors for us. So it's super grateful for that experience with him. It's yeah. cool. Um, so you came over 2014, 15 ish, and yeah. you've been here since. Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. And we <laughs> we met 2015 or 16. I think 15. Yeah, yeah, for yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. Um, I think was Jonas still working with us then, or maybe he just left. I think he was just left because I don't remember. I I kind of remember, but don't remember him working mm. with you then. Yeah, yeah, he must have just left. Um, but yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. Yeah, so like eight, eight years. Eight years, and I, it's funny, I almost worked for you. <laughs> worked right? with me. Worked, worked with, with you. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, I was, think I was in between jobs or something, yeah. and I, somehow we connected, and we were both at Hex. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, 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 that was it. Um, and then, um, what happened? I was like, you started flowing me clothes and I was just like, holy shit. Yeah. You (laughs) sponsored me, dude. And, and it was the coolest stuff, you know? So I was like, (laughs) fuck yeah. And then, um, I was working for Hex. We were, I was doing a bunch of stuff. And then, um, one day that I got a job you actually called me oh, yeah. and said, hey, why don't you work with us? Yeah, that's and I'm right. like, fuck, dude. I just started. I at, just got a job today. At Adenone, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The same freaking day. That is insane. Crazy. Yeah, timing. That. Meant to be, I guess. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. It's all that timing. I think we ended up hiring Tom Goad. That's right. For that position. Yeah. Who is, um, was with us from then until... Uh, when we closed just recently, but Tom, Tom was amazing. He's like a young kid, and he actually was working for the Critical Slide Society out here doing sales for them. And then so I, I stole him from them to come work for us. You didn't want to juggle both, or just not really. Oh, I, I, I'm a big believer in um, in in house sales. Yeah, yeah. I, I I feel like the the external sales rep thing is um uh. It, is, is hard because you, your time is spent juggling so many different brands and yep. you, you don't really get to focus in on on building something like I think at some stage within a brand's life cycle you, you don't need someone to build so much you're just maintaining um, whereas like at that stage we needed someone to help build and yeah. like to do that you just got to be on it 24 hours a day and like live and breathe it whereas if, you, if you've got that mix in with a bunch of other brands, I feel like you just kind of get lost a little bit. For sure. So we, like our, our East Coast and West Coast rep, um, 
had were always in the house, and I, and I felt like they were our two biggest territories, which they they should be, but they they were both in house, and I felt like that was a good move. Good move financially, probably not because it's more expensive, but um, just the the brand loyalty and building the brand in those yeah. retailers that really helped. It's funny because I I. I agree with it, and I also think there's definitely different structures that work. Totally, totally. You know? Yeah. And, yeah, the the, the in-house thing is killer, um, depending on your distribution, yeah. and depending on, you know, the what whole... Sh- what shows you, you attend, you know, yeah. that, that can service you know, particular regions, and, you know, like, yeah, it's, it just, it depends. There's, yeah. you know, a million ways of skin a cat yeah yeah, totally. you know, but, yeah yeah but yeah it's a good perspective to bring up and yeah, you know yeah. like what works for you or that time and yeah yeah i mean it's yeah it's crazy because lar is socal yeah you know, handling a couple different brands and that's perfect for what he does yeah, yeah. and i am doing a a couple different brands and i do a couple the u.s <laughs> yeah you do so many brands. yeah <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, it's it's crazy. Like it's definitely different depending on the structure and depending on where your brand sits in the market. Yeah, exactly. Totally, totally. Yeah, the, it. I've I've seen it work in every type yeah. of way. I, and also, I think it comes down to the person that is is dealing with the sales team as well. Like I I, I felt like I could do a better job if they were closer to me in a way. And like I understood what they were doing, and that, and they also understood what we were doing as a brand. Yeah. Um. And and also like, I, it, it Banks General is like a small little family as well. So having more people that are involved twenty four hours a day helps build and expand the brand as yeah. well because they're they're fully immersed in it. So and and I was lucky to to work with some really great people like Tom here on, on the west coast and then um ryan russo i'm yeah. not sure russo's a great guy that did the um did the east coast so yeah we're lucky enough to work with some um really good salespeople. yeah yeah it always comes back to the owners founders whoever's financing and like what their objectives are as a, a brand you know yeah. like hey if we could keep it in this spectrum and keep a tight team and be successful because you know we're, we, we that's the distribution we want or you know get some more people in and then all of a sudden you know you got more opinions and then you added more bodies and then what starts blowing up (laughs) there's all you know different different ways but yeah and we're back we're back i'll just put a nice little commercial in there right there you know so (laughs) shoots so banks i mean you're you're what the fudge third year Fourth year, Tom Tom came in third or fourth year. I think it was the third year in Tom came on board. Maybe yeah, maybe uh, yeah. Third year in yeah. from the brand actually starting from, but like it was the second year that I had moved over to the US. Um, he came on board and it was um, it was great to Tom Tom like is is a close friend of mine and and is just embodied the brand so much like he he he's not like best surfer in the world but he he loves surfing and he, he understands the lifestyle he loves product he loves clothes he really enjoyed like vintage stuff which which i do as well and he had like a similar um appreciation to just design yeah so i think that helped him 
really understand what the brand stood for and what we wanted to, to be in the market. Um, and I, I'm not sure if you've ever seen him in store, but he, he, he really knows how to make people feel good. Like the guy is so yeah, people, charismatic. People love him. Oh, it's, it's, sure. it's insane. And, and like I, I would um, put a, a lot of our success in the US up to Tom's relationships and, and how much he... How, how much he worked like he worked just non-stop to to support us and and get us into retailers and make sure retailers were getting their product on time and having a good sell through like he he was really the the front person for the brand for for many many years so yeah. it's um and, and ryan russo was the same for us on the east coast who just yeah. wasn't in our office every day so tom and i kind of just had a had a closer kind of working relationship which was um which was amazing i think having that close connectivity with, with your sales team really, really helps. And, and I think that uh, from a design perspective, the designs are usually kind of um, hidden from sales a little bit. They don't get to interact as much. And they, there's, a, there's usually like some tension there, which like you guys mentioned before. But I think if, if both sides talk more and like respect each other, and learn from one another, like you, you get the best product. Yeah. I mean, it, it's got to be, um, I mean, we talked about it earlier, like it's it's so important to have that open dialogue and be able to work together. And, you know, just, I mean, we're all on the same team. Yeah. You know, but I feel like sometimes, you know, there is a, a little friction between sales and design because, again, you know, design kind of keeps the, brand you know thinking forward and and on trend and and you know so in the future and sales definitely has that kind of more realistic of like i i need you know i need to please the accounts and this is the feedback that i'm getting from them and this is what i'm seeing it's okay to look at like products from competitors and being like hey this is what's working for them not that you know i mean we're in a world of you know everybody kind of copies each other but puts their twist on it in in a way but yeah, having an open dialogue between, you know, sales and design is really important, you know, and you have that nice, tight, like, group where yeah. you have that. So, you're, you've got West Coast, you've got East Coast, and both those guys are doing shows in their respective areas, um, and you guys are pretty successful, right? Yeah, we, we got to a, a good-sized business. Like, we had about 280 retailers in, in the U.S., and globally it was, it was up a little bit over 500 retailers globally. Dude. So we we were in um, a decent amount of accounts and some really great high-quality accounts too, which was awesome, and had a couple of our own retail stores, one here in downtown L.A., which was, like, our first flagship store. Um, we've... Had two in in Hawaii. We opened up one in Chinatown just before COVID, uh, which couldn't have been worse timing. We ended Oof. up closing down uh, during that. But then we opened up another store like two and a half, two, two years ago at the Surf Jack Hotel in Waikiki and have a little coffee component mixed in there too. So it's, um, yeah, we, like we, we had a, a good run. Yeah. Like it was, it was a, an exciting time and um, super rewarding. Yeah. So... When you got, it, it's it's kind of neat to hear like the struggle of being a new brand 
and then persevering and getting it to that. That's impressive. 280 something accounts in the US. Oh, wow. Right? Yeah, it's huge. It's huge. And you're in a diverse mix of retailers. You're doing e com with like Stitch Fix. Mm. You're doing e com with, um, what is it, Huckberry? Yeah, did some business with Huckberry, Shopbop. Yeah, we, we had like a pretty, pretty substantial online kind of yeah. presence as well. And you're in great, you know, boutiques, Moniker General. Yep. You're in American Rag. American Rag, and then you're in core surf shops. Yeah. You know, so it's so sad. Like when, when I heard of the demise, right, I was so shocked. Mm. Yeah. Because um, you just moved offices. Yeah. Like not too long ago. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And the, yeah, the brand was stable. I mean, from, outside and from the outside you were like there yeah you yeah. you you got the plane off the ground and you're flying <laughs> flying around globally yeah like revenue wise the the brand was was the biggest it's ever been and i think um brand recognition was as good as it's ever been product was great um i think we we made some uh unfortunate decisions through covid that uh, to do with investing into direct consumer stock which um ended up not panning out the way we envisioned and we ended up having to get rid of a lot of product at at a high discount which ruined our margins which meant it was hard to pay future bills so we we've been in this uh pretty unfortunate financial situation for the last like two years and we've been we've been trying to get ourselves out of it by by making smarter decisions and not not having too much product especially on the direct consumer side of things because our wholesale business driven by tom was was doing really great it was just um uh, a, a lot of a lot of effort and a lot of money put into DTC that just didn't really pan out the way that we wanted to. Yeah. Well, everybody was kind of forced at hand to kind of look at that business and invest because of where we're at, you know. And you weren't mm-hmm. isolated, and you weren't like, you know, as far as somebody that was going out on on a whim. That was kind of the standard across the board with everybody. Like yeah. I heard it internally with our company. It was like, hey, we're investing a lot of money in the D2C, which is direct-to-consumer. Like, you know, that's where we're going to make up this margin, and that's where we're going to help balance out the, the, the fallout from brick and mortar yeah. for that short period of time. We didn't know how long it was going to last. Yeah. But it's, you know, you're forecasting out production and investing in, in products deep, far. Yeah. Direct-to-consumer is such a – it's not – new but it's new-ish to our world right and it's almost part of the equation nowadays where you kind of have to have direct some sort of yeah yeah and and i i love it that i mean we're both sales reps right our 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 customer is you know shops and and we want our shops to win over our own d to c yeah yeah for sure because the 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 more prosperous our accounts are the more prosperous we are right but if the company's healthy it helps everybody so if they're making you know they're making money you know 
on that B2C and it's helping everybody, whether it's yeah. marketing or events or whatever for, you know, cause it, all that money's going back into the, yeah. the pool of mm-hmm. the brand. And yeah. you know, hopefully we're not, we're not trying to pry, but you're saying you punted too much on direct consumer product. You didn't have the robust sales that you would, you thought you, you were going to get. Yeah. That's what kind of got you in a, a little bit of a pit. Right. Yeah, yeah. It, it's just, it was all to do with cash flow um, at the end of the day, and, and some poor decisions uh, from the DTC to to get us into that cash flow problem. Um, and we we were still the brand was really strong, I, I believe, yeah. within the marketplace, and the product was really great. Like we had some great designers and um, working with really talented people, and we. From a from a leadership um, group, uh, we we just went down some roads that we probably shouldn't have, which is um, really disappointing when you when when I think of brands that like run their life cycle, they they end because they they don't have the consumer base there anymore or the want yeah. for it. But whereas in our case is um is the exact opposite. It was just like yeah. it was all our own kind of doing. Not that we we didn't have the consumer there anymore. So it was, it was, um, it's, it's disappointing to see like all the hard work of all the people that have been involved with the brand over the years kind of come to the end that it did. But also I'm really grateful for that opportunity to see, see where it got. Yeah. And, and not to belabor my, like your brand is still, people love the brand, right? And it's it was so when I heard the news and I saw the post I was like what the fuck <laughs> yeah because it wasn't something like, where we saw in retail and art because we're all mm-hmm. in a lot of similar stores and be yeah. like oh yeah banks they haven't been doing great it was like what the fuck like did you hear we, about banks because like, we what because we hear and see and we know what who's selling what's doing well who's helping you know like yeah. it's yeah. it's a small industry and we know when a brand's you know, not performing or, you know, but it was none of that. It was just, whoa, what happened? It, it hurts yeah. to hear it because we're, you know, we've known each other for such a long time. We've had you on the podcast before and we've never have, have been this kind of close to somebody that went bankrupt. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? And I, it's hopefully business owners or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. like future entrepreneurs mm-hmm. can gain some knowledge from this conversation because yeah. really like you haven't done anything wrong, right? Mm-hmm. It's like the brand is still, I mean, if you, if magically you got revenue, a couple million dollars to pay off debts, mm-hmm. we wouldn't be having this conversation yeah, because you're yeah. still selling you you still could sell product yeah your brand still has equity yeah so yeah and again this is the aftermath of you know the shutdown and covid and it and it's it happened across so many industries Mm -hmm. and you know i talked to people outside of our industry supply chains and timelines and you know Factories closing overseas that, you know, was, a, you know, like a secured, you know, kind of uh, 
production. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, there's so many different factors that factors that have just yeah ruined everybody. You know, in some way, you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we're just trying to say like you know, it's not you know. We're not trying to be, be a bummer here, but we're just trying to be realistic and trying yeah. to learn like what this was. This is what happens in real life. This is real know? life, yeah. right? Yeah, I, th- I think um, something that I've learned through the last few weeks going through this process is that uh, not being you sh- if you're doing have you have your own business and and you've got questions and you need help, you should reach out to people because I, I think that's something that like throughout my whole business with banks and my career I, I'm, I'm pretty insular type of person um, and I feel like if you if you have the humility to, to reach out to people and go like I don't know this um, can you help me with this or can you give me some advice through this period like we're, we're having some cash flow issues or we're overstocked in this, this stuff like can you help me I think that's having the strength to do that is really important yeah. and something that I, I think I, I could I can take away from this experience going like I, I probably should have um, asked more questions and, and asked for more help sometimes rather than trying to uh, keep it all internal yeah, and, and um, that's just talking about it yeah. you know yeah. because talking about it with somebody is going to be like hey I know you know again we were just off yeah. the camera when Lyndon was gone networking yeah and just having you know, fellowship within, you know, people and network, you know, oh, you know, hey, I know somebody that mm-hmm. could help you out or at least yeah. answer some questions. Yeah, so not talking about it. And that's just not within business, that's in life and that's totally. in personal, like, so, you know, every, that's in everything. Yeah, was, yeah, totally. Was inventory an issue before COVID or after COVID? All after COVID. The, the business was super clean before COVID and then even like the first year of COVID 2020, all of our like all of our businesses, like all of our wholesale accounts closed down and even our online retailers closed. We were really fortunate that we were shipping out all of our online orders from our store in downtown LA so we weren't relying on a three PL. That's great. We started like our online store just started picking up overnight and we grew like two hundred and fifty percent that year online. So we, we ended up being able to move through the product that got cancelled from wholesale. But moving into 2021, we were like, we're, we're going to at least get growth on that number, like 20, 50%. And then, so we, we invested in basically a year's worth of product with growth on already a year that grew like 250%. So we, we just, we had too much confidence in, in the growth that we were seeing. And then as, as retailers opened back up and people started shopping back in brick and mortar, plus they were spending money on traveling again. There was just less cash there for, for, for a wholesale or direct-to-consumer. So we ended up being flat on 2020, and so we had a huge amount of stock that we just couldn't get rid of. As I said before, we had to sell it at a, at a low price. And that lack of margin just um, got us into a really, really dark place, yeah. unfortunately. And, and it's Which is weird because you think... DTC is going to be great for margin, but at the end of the day, it's, it's actually all risk. Like the, I think acknowledging that your wholesale partners are taking a lot of risk with you. They're taking all the risk with you. Yeah. Because yeah. like they're, usually they're paying you on time, they're supporting your brand, they're promoting it, they're marketing it for you. And I think a, a lot of us, including myself, I think 
took that for granted in a lot of ways when like that was the safe business that like you're having someone else support your business forever and then then all of a sudden you put all this effort into direct consumer whereas if you had reinvested that into wholesale we'd still have a really healthy business today yeah so it's but that's the the this taste of the forbidden fruit fruit yeah you know like you you get get a hit that dopamine hit of of increased sales Mm. because of uh direct consumer and the the crystal ball of like okay what's next year gonna look like yeah. Yeah, and yeah. unfortunately we're even if all it's so schmidget of what we've experienced we're still gonna kill it just speak yeah. the word dude schmidget <laughs> schmidge if we're gonna have a little bit of that success that we just went through yeah. like you're you know you're still in the plus yeah I mean it happens in every it doesn't even have to be COVID mm. it just it happens with with booms and yeah. then declines, right? Yeah. Like you just don't know when that that door closes, mm. and it sucks because you you know you. It's not that you're greedy, but you're like trying to prepare for growth. Yeah, and yeah. It, it's like that story I was talking about with DVS and you know PacSun buying into it. Mm. You get this huge fucking order, and then you know six months later. They close or yeah. not close. They get out of the footwear category, yeah. And then you're like left holding all this, you know, all this inventory plus staffing up, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Everybody thinks like, oh, you happens look- to the best of us. Yeah. Well, right. You could have a successful you know, business and stay flat. Yeah. Or you could have a successful business that's on on the growth. Yeah. But. Like Lennon said, there's so much revenue that, or there money that costs that go in with that. Like growth cost takes money. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Like business is such a gamble because you're rolling the dice, right? Yeah. Like, oh, you know, you. It's like stock market and gambling. <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah. Both those things and and our business. It's like, okay, you know. Yeah. Are there gonna be waves? Yeah. Are people going to break boards? Is the water going to get cold? Is the sun going to shine? Yeah. You know, like all these stupid variables. Yeah. Variables. You're like, okay, like last spring, we sold elastic waist volleys. Right. And and we sold this many. Uh, Is the water going to be the same? Yeah. Is is economy going to be the same? It's like all those things that we kind of taken consideration but mm. until it happens well you, know, you can you, you brought up you know weather or whatever spring california or west coast in general had a, have a spring this year had a, 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 a shocker but yeah. typically when one area is affected by weather there's a lot of others that aren't or it benefits so mm. you can you can move product around yeah and it and, it, and, it, and you come out okay you know but covid was like Fuck everything shut. Yeah, you know. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't like, oh, this part, this part of our portfolios affect everything and everybody. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it was an unknown. Nobody knew how to navigate. It yeah. was a blessing and a curse because, you know, we've been doing this a long time. Mm-hmm. We both worked at HSS, on the corner in the mecca of the surf industry. Yeah, and 
all those years that I worked there, I, I thought that was it. Like there's nobody that does it better, bigger, you know, than, <laughs> yeah. than our corner. And then going out into the real world, you're like, oh shit, there's other people doing it. That's <laughs> cool. Yeah, and then, yeah. but then you're thinking, oh, that time was the golden age of, of retail. Yeah. And when, you know, we've interviewed a couple different people, Hanson's, Don Hanson and um, Mark Richards from Val Surf, and these OGs telling you to your face 2021 and 2020 were the biggest years in the industry. Yeah. You know, to hear that and go and see it, you know? Yeah. And live through it, you're like, isn't that crazy? Mm-hmm. Like, What's it's crazy fun? when you just print a couple trillion dollars and give it away <laughs> on how that's going to really affect... Yeah, where's that money going to go? Uh-huh. But like the perfect storm... It's the surfboards. The perfect storm... A lot of surfboards. Yeah. The perfect storm happened, you know? Yeah. No gyms, no organized sports, yeah. no traveling abroad, people working from home, uh, free money, mm. all these things funneled to us. Our, yeah. our industry, our outdoor action sports industry. Until they started trying to close the beaches. Come on now. Yeah. No. Yeah. But, but no, it, it is. It was a blessing and a curse because it, you know, nobody knew it was going to blow up that crazy. Yeah. Mm. And, and obviously you hedged a bet. Mm. Right? Yeah. Everybody. And I'm sure you're not alone in these hedging of bets. And that, the price you pay, you had to pay was chapter seven. Yeah. Now, chapter seven is you were telling me earlier. You basically give up everything. Yeah, basically, the day that you file chapter seven bankruptcy, you hand over the keys, and then there's a um, a trustee of the court that takes ownership of everything, and then um, they liquidate all your assets, including like trademark stock. Uh, furniture, whatever it is, um, to to pay off the debts. So uh, that's the process that we're in right now. Um, and ho- hopefully, for for our debtors, we can pay off uh, as much as what we can. But it, it's um, it's a really is it too crazy to ask you how much you owed? <laughs> yeah, that's. Well, too crazy. Yeah, he likes numbers. He, he, <laughs> I do. I, I'm like, it's very no, rude and no, inappropriate. No, 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 it's 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 okay. I, I I think the main reason I probably shouldn't is because of like the legality, the, yeah, yeah, of what we're going through right now. But it, it, but it, it was insurmountable at the. It was it was a big number. Yeah, yeah, it was a big number. Enough but, to put you into chapter seven. Yeah. Well, well, the what happens like we were we were working on a deal with um with one of our biggest manufacturers to to take on some equity in in, uh, in te- them and them forgiving some of their debt. So we were we'd been working on this deal with them for quite a long time, and I was really really positive it was going to happen. Like I was like ninety nine percent. This is it, it doesn't make sense for them to walk away from this debt. Yeah, it's guaranteed good business. It's like. Yeah. yeah, and future business as well, and and this the, the manufacturer is a really close friend of mine as well. They're known since Ripcurl, so like twenty years, like working with this person, and um, they they took the deal to their board. The deal got refused. They let me know like on a Monday, 
um, I'd been talking to well, myself and my, my partner had been talking to our bankruptcy attorney for a, a like, couple of months just to know like what our options are if we if we ran, ran out of money basically and um, we had a meeting with with him and he was like my my response to this is like tomorrow you should let go of all your staff close all your stores Friday we'll file for, for chapter 7 and then so talking uh, about a freaking knockout punch <laughs> yeah and then like later that night I had to have a, a board meeting with um with our board and to vote that through because we just myself I can't decide to do that I have to like vote on it myself with, with my other board members and uh, explain the situation they we all approved it and then um, next day uh, let everyone go and that was it <laughs> what so, doesn't kill us makes us stronger huh yeah, yeah. that's like rough yeah that's yeah. like not you know it's not fun it's it's yeah. but it's like having a kid mm. what you've done you know and yeah you you fucking work so hard and you know and it's not just you so many people so many people and I don't want to bump you out no it's like the livelihood of like all the people that you're a team their family like you know and and indirectly all these retailers that have become fans of the brand that made money on the brand yeah they're they're genuinely probably like pretty bummed too yeah for sure like we you'll you'll by doing it this suddenly and we were kind of forced into it we're, we're letting a lot of people down like we we couldn't let our employees know we couldn't give them notice of what was going on and then our wholesale partners like we they're they'd booked in a lot of product from us for for the next few seasons and now they're they're gonna have less product than they need to to hit their budgets and obviously they'll be able to fill the gap through ats with other brands but it's still um Pretty, pretty awful feeling to like be letting so many people down in a, in a lot of different areas. So we talked about it a little bit earlier. Is there hopes of saving the brand or is it? Um, well, like the process is the, the, the point, of, uh, uh, the, the court appoints a trustee, they liquidate everything and uh, there's opportunity to to purchase the trademark back, but it's um, there's no guarantee in that. Like who, whoever whoever bids the most gets it, and um, I think for for me, I would love the brand to survive regardless of my involvement. Um, but I'd love the brand to, to live on and, and do what I think it deserved to do because I, I think the brand was a, a special brand um, because of all the all the amazing people that helped build it. So I, I do hope that it has a life beyond this this process that it's going through right now. Yeah. Um. Regard regardless of whether I'm a part of it or not, and yeah. and I, I would love to be, but the it's it's not up to me anymore. So. Well, and, a lot. You know, to give you a little bit of you know faith, there's been a lot of brands that have gone through similar situations or just you know partnerships fallouts it kind of the the brand goes the wayside and then it gets yeah. resurgence like later you yeah. know um and and there's definitely you know hopefully opportunity for yeah. it to like you know yeah in japan it's still going though yep yeah so my partner in japan still owns trademark for japan so we, we, they were luckily enough um i guess secluded from wow. this process which I, i'm really happy about for them because mm-hmm. they, they get to continue it on 
uh, the, going through the process of like how that's developed now that like the, the US business is closed is another story which we'll have to kind of like work through but um, they're still running which is great uh, but globally outside of outside of Japan it's um, it's all done because the the US business own own the global trademark outside of Japan so it was um, everything got kind of uh, soaked up in that yeah so what are your days cons- consisting of now that that's off your plate <laughs> somewhat you know what, what is the what's the future uh, well the straight after it was it was actually so busy because we we had to kind of close everything down within like a few days so it was it was really busy just trying to deal with all of that staff retailers our our locations like our office and warehouse and retail stores and then um I flew to Japan for la uh, for like four days of meetings with my old partner trying to figure out um the the possibility of like keeping Banks Journal alive in Japan or or, or possibly starting a new brand um so there's been a, a lot of talk of, of that which is exciting but also daunting like yeah. the, the idea of um of starting a new brand is it, it's it's a lot of work Fine, and yeah. there's a lot of luck involved with it too um it, there's so many components so that that's that's something that i've been um discussing with people and, and trying to figure out whether it's a possibility uh but um what's what, what's your gut feeling what what did you want to do uh like moving forward mm-hmm. I, i'm a product person so like i wh- whatever i do i want to be involved with product and um whether it's it's starting a new brand or or developing product for people that can't develop it themselves is, is something that like i i'm really interested in because the 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 building of a brand is um wasn't what i was like extremely passionate about it was like building a product so if and, and I think there's a lot of people out there that want great product that maybe don't know how to do it themselves. So me being able to uh, assist them in doing that would make me really happy, and it's something that I've I've thought about. So there's there's different things I'm I'm kind of throwing around, but no matter what it is, yeah. it's going to be product. Yeah, sure. So freelance or picking up, and I mean it's probably too soon to go dive into a full full without knowing. You know, you're kind of still in that mm. whatever stage right now. I don't even know what to call that, but you know what I mean. Like you yeah. still have a bit of turmoil. You turmoil, <laughs> yeah. You, but you still have, you know, your your skill set. You mm. know, which yeah. you can parlay that into whoever wants to, you know, utilize it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that it's crazy because I feel like you already know you have a blueprint of everything mm. you know what I mean yeah yeah but you, you said it earlier it's it's daunting to restart yeah you know yeah yeah so but like you're young <laughs> and you got so much <laughs> talent and vision and it's just like switch footing just, <laughs> just you know just do it, just do it. Yeah, we, you already know yeah, you yeah. already know just get yeah. on it now but it's fucked yeah it's, it's it's a bummer to have a colleague a friend and you know you built something so bitchin and it's a bummer but that stuff happens in real life but 
I mean, we're confident that, dude. You're Mama motherfucking McCabe. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, like guys. you, you're the original Australian hipster. Dude. <laughs> you're going to reinvent yourself in yeah. some other brand or, you know, business yeah. venture. Well, we'll see. Like, I think um, with any door closing and all the uh, one opens up and, and I'm looking forward to what's next and least one thing that let me have another chat with you too so yeah i enjoyed that dude i mean this is it's been awesome your story and, and i mean this is just another chapter yeah you know yeah and you're you're talented you're young you i mean you, you know there's probably a million things going in all kinds of directions on where you you could go get a safe conservative job somewhere <laughs> some big brand but yeah. like i feel like you you still have something to give that's you know, more you, you know, yeah, versus, sure. but you know, if it's picking up a paycheck and, and making ends meet and doing whatever, like just do it, you know, don't fucking hold back, you yeah. know? Yeah. yeah. You can design a bunch of late night with chalky stuff. Dude. Let me know. I've got a lot of time on my hands yeah. these days. Let's go. Well, I get, we gotta go. I gotta go. Yeah. 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 Um, thank you so much. Thank you guys. I mean, this is, Dude, I really enjoyed it. You know, let's, uh, let's, let's surf when you get back. Yeah. Um, and keep us updated. Keep and, us and updated. Or if you need, you know, anything from us, we know like some people. fucking, <laughs> you know, feel people. free, you know, like thank you. we, we love what, uh, what you've done and we know that, you know, it's just a matter of time of, yeah. of, uh, your next venture. Yeah. yeah. We're but shameless plugs. Yeah. We're in it. We're in it. Cavalero pools and spas, baby. Oh, <laughs> um, shit. Shoot. We um, got hats, t-shirts. Go check us out. Let's get some freaking stuff. There's two on. designs. We got Bonza Bull. We're effing surfers with a logo hit. And then or just, just a, a logo, logo hit. Yeah. Um Thank They're you to good. Earth Pack for sponsoring the show too. They are your uh, packaging needs for merchandise, retail, whatever. Ashland Hard Seltzer. Uh, shade Sunscreen. Shade Sunscreen. Clearweather. Yep. Clearweather brand. Yep. Uh, Bonsai Bowl. Clearweather brands. Check out this. Um, what else is there? Uh, you guys have got a lot of sponsors. Oh, well done. This is NeonWave.com. Oh, okay. You've been, you've heard of Neon Wave. You, they carried uh, Banks Journal. So yeah. if they spend 50 bucks and put. On ThisIsNeonWave.com. On this, yeah. Yeah. 50 bucks, punch in late night in the promo code, you get a free hat. Yeah. Oh, sick. For sick, anything right? for. $50 purchase and over. Nice. Uh, GWP. Eat Northside North Cafe. Cafe. Foo Wax. Foo Wax. I don't know. We got too many to name. Yeah. Get a lot. We'll take more though. Let's yeah. go. <laughs> well, peace. Thank you guys. This was awesome. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Peace. Bonsai Bowls. Hands down the best bowls, period. Seven locations. Two in Hawaii, five in Southern California. Bonsai Bowls. Go get some. Ashland Hard Seltzer, made from all natural ingredients. No sugar, zero carbs, gluten-free. Great taste and guilt-free good times. Ashland Hard Seltzer. Shade Sunscreen, the best sunscreen for all surfers. Shade Sunscreen, it's been around since the sun. Shade, Shade. Sunscreen. 
Clearweather is a family-owned footwear brand started by our friends Josh and Brandon Brubaker. They are driven to create their own path in the corporate sneaker world. Less corporate, more independent. Clearweather. Clearweatherbrand.com. Fuwax is the best, ickiest, stickiest wax in the game. Fuwax. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the show. Please give us a five-star rating and spread the word. Special thanks to our good friends, James Williams for our awesome artwork and Justin Reynolds for the amazing music.